You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 586. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 20th of September, Racing over Reno collide, killing both pilots. A testy conversation between an FAA examiner and a tower. Let's leave the controller training off of frequency. Sir, you fly the airplane, I'll fly the tower. How's that? Also, more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 586 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, joining us from... His home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, AMP mechanic, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff and crew. Glad to be uh, glad to be back. See some new faces. Awesome. Great to see you again as well, Nick. And also joining us from various locations around the world. They are co-hosts of the Federal Deposo Aviation Podcast. Welcome. uh, Just one of you to start uh, talking to us and introducing yourselves. Uh, Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Hang hang on. No, shoot. Everything is just falling apart here. Now... What in the heck are you thinking? What are you doing? This is an no, English aviation park. Yeah. So, no, I just want to trade because yesterday we had to spend like some hours with you in English. So today we thought that would be a good idea to bring this up in Portuguese. You thought, you thought that'd be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Really, okay. a really great idea. Why not? Right. That Bye. is not a good idea. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yes, we did that on purpose, people. Thank you. Uh, so we have uh, John and Enrique and uh, Guillermo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed yeah. it. Wait a minute. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 
Okay. We're going to talk to them a little bit more in our Getting to Know Us segment uh, soon after we talk a little bit about the Jim news. Jim Fulton but, isn't sure we do our show in English. Uh, Jim Fulton, uh, enough of you. Who has the uh, the, the, the wrench thing to get rid of people? But uh, I think he's He's staying. out of here. <laughs> okay, staying. he'll stay. All right. Well, uh, that voice you hear, of course, is uh, she's from a place to stand and a place to grow with lots of snow. Well, it's probably pretty much gone now. Yeah, she is, of course, our producer, Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. All right. Hey, we're all together. That's it for the uh, APG hosts, but we have these fine uh, guest hosts with us, and uh, we're they're going to help us analyze uh, the news and feedback. But uh, let's go ahead and just move right on into the news. What do you think? Stand by for news. All right. The first item in our news notebook is this tragedy that occurred in Reno. And uh, let me just play a little bit of um, a video here. It is with great sorrow that the Reno Air Racing Association announces that around 2.15 this afternoon, at the conclusion of the T6 Gold Race, upon landing, two planes collided. It has been confirmed that both pilots are deceased. The Reno Air Race Board of Directors and the T6 class president are working to notify the next of kin and ensure families have all of our support. There were no civilian injuries and we're in the process of confirming additional details around the incident. Additional information will be released as soon as it is available. At this time, now don't take this wrong, at this time, it says all racing operations are currently suspended. Currently is the word. Safety is the foremost concern of the Reno Air Race Association, and we work year-round to host the safest event possible. Okay, there's a little bit of, uh, of a video and uh, recording of the announcement made at the Reno Air Races. And uh, it, yeah, a tragedy it didn't actually occur in the race, but just shortly after, uh, what was it, the uh, AT6 uh, Gold uh, race, I believe. And uh, yep. yeah, so Nick uh, Camacho, you're uh, our resident uh, warbird expert and uh you hang out at reno air races every every now and then don't you yeah i've been out there a handful of times yeah so um i asked you before we recorded the show if you knew these two gentlemen that uh, lost their lives in this accident and you said no but uh just tell us in general i mean it's i know that they had that tragedy uh, several years ago where the uh was it a mustang that uh that crashed yeah. into the uh, audience and killed, I think, mm -hmm. 10 people in the audience and, and yep. the pilot of that. Uh, but uh, you haven't really heard a lot of tragic crashes going on since then. Um, seems like they've made some good efforts in improving the safety there. 
Yeah, they had uh, they had one fatality last year in a jet race. They had um, uh, obviously there are in testing and stuff. There are fatalities leading up to the races, but in terms of uh, during the week of the races, um, yeah, these two T sixes, the the jet last year. Uh, I'm trying to think prior to that when the last time was there was. You know, there's a bad year, and I think about 2007, where they had three different fatalities. I think they had maybe two uh, Formula One airplanes collide, and then a separate maybe jet incident. I don't recall, but there have been there have definitely been a couple of different um, isolated instances of uh, accidents or incidents out there. But for the most part, it's uh, it's been a pretty well run function, and the, you know, the sad part of beyond the loss of life and the unfortunate uh accident there you know this was the last um this was the last uh, organized race at reno um the air race association is trying to um maintain the races and continue in a different location but they're still looking for another location so uh this was the last time that it was going to be uh in reno as it's been since 1964 you know, they had a couple of years. Uh, they didn't fly in 2001, and 2011 was curtailed early in the week, like you mentioned. But um, that uh, that T6 incident did end the day on Sunday, so they did not get to uh, finish out the rest of the race slate. And did you say that this is the last year at at Reno? In Reno, yep. In Reno, and where where are they going to hold it in the future? Or they, do they, they don't know. know they're yet? still looking oh. for they're still looking for another location. <clears throat> And you know it's pretty, it's pretty challenging. Uh, lo- Location-wise, it's pretty challenging because you have to have multiple runways accessible for emergencies during the race. You want some place that is um, remote enough that you can have these uh, large race courses flying over uninhabited area, but you want to be close enough to city centers to be able to support lodging and hosting you know, a hundred thousand people or however many tens of thousands of people show up. So, uh, Reno was kind of a, uh, uniquely well suited for that. Cause they had, um, Steadfield, which was, I think maybe a 25 or 30 minute drive from the center of Reno. Um, but it was out kind of into the desert. So there w- wasn't a bunch of, uh, development around it initially. Um, but here maybe in February of this year, Either the city of Reno or the Reno Airport Authority, whoever manages the uh, relationship between the air race organization and the airport ownership, announced that they would not be uh, renewing the lease or whatever agreement they had to operate the races there. And I think it—I don't have any—I <clears throat> don't have any inside information on that, but I think it just had to do with uh, you know the impact that. Um, the races had on that area, both in terms of, um, it brought a lot of money into the region. Uh, I think back in 2011, uh, when the Mustang, uh, situation that you mentioned happened and they were discussing whether or not the races were going to continue, they were throwing around numbers off the top of my head. I think it was like 70 or $80 million of fiscal impact to that area. So it's not an insignificant event for businesses and the people there. Uh, but also, 
there were some developments, I think, starting to crop up near the race area. So it was making it a little a little more challenging to continue hosting the races. Obviously, just liability exposure in general and the insurance situation. Insurance situation is bad for everyone in aviation right now. So uh, I can't imagine that didn't have some impact on the decision also. Um, so, yeah, they, they made that announcement in February and, and the air race uh, – the RARA, which is the Air Race Association, has been very proactive about at least getting the word out that they'd like to continue the races and they're looking for a place. But as of right now, I don't think they have anything set in stone. Okay. Um, any of our guests have anything to add to the, the, the crash or Reno air races in general? Or, uh, or shall we move on to the next article, which I'm sure that uh, I'll get some some good commentary from our Brazilian guest hosts. And uh, that item, of course, is uh, a plane crash. This is from, uh, let me see, from g1.globo.com. Uh, the plane uh, crashed in uh, the uh, Amazonas, uh, Amazonas, uh, Brazil. <laughs> uh, the plane left uh, Manaus. Capital Amazonas uh, bound for uh, Barcelos. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably butchering Barcelos. all this. Barcelos. Barcelos. There we go. According to the government of Amazonas, uh, 12 victims were passengers, two crew members. Uh, it crashed there in Bar- Barcelos in the interior of uh, Amazonas. Zonas. <laughs> Stop it. On Saturday afternoon, according to the government, uh, 14 people died. G1. Uh, the source here had access to the passenger list of the 14 people. 12 were passengers, two were crew. They were all men. The governor of uh, AM, Wilson Lima, uh, said that all passengers were Brazilian tourists who practiced sport fishing, and they would go fishing in the uh, Rio Negro. Uh, the plane is an Embraer uh, EMB-110 Bandeirante, uh, or it's probably pronounced like this in Brazilian. Bandeirante. Yeah. I nailed it, didn't I? Um, and uh, let's see. Prefix uh, Papatango Sierra uh, Oscar Golf was manufactured in 1991 with a capacity for up to 18 passengers. Uh, it was operated by the company Manaus Aerotaxi. It took off from Manaus bound for Barcelos. Barcelos. According to the National Civil Aviation Agency, the aircraft's condition was regular. <laughs> it's always good to be regular. The cause of the accident are not yet known. Bad weather in the region may have contributed to the accident. According to civil defense, it was raining heavily at the time of the, uh, of the fall of the accident, I guess. Two aircraft that were going to land on the Barcelos runway before the flight that crashed canceled their landing for safety reasons. Uh, so, uh, and then finally here, the secretary of public security of Amazonas, uh, Colonel, uh, Vincius Almeida, Almeida said that although there is still no conclusive data on what happened, according to reports from the residents in the area, the aircraft landed, but did not have enough runway to break or to stop. And I was talking about this with our, our guests here yesterday. It looked based on the photos that we uh, have seen from this. It almost looks like it was a survivable accident to me, but I, I guess you know maybe the deceleration forces were just so strong, even though it looks like the aircraft is eh, not really mostly intact, but partially intact. Uh, I guess maybe the deceleration forces were just so strong that it just killed everybody with blunt trauma or something. I don't know. So uh, what do you think here? Uh, tell us a little bit about what you might know about this uh, 
any of any of our three guests. So uh, this is quite a dramatic accident, and all of us here in Brazil are shocked with this accident. No one expected. And personally speaking, I use it to work in, in the company located just close to the side by side with this this company in Manaus. So I saw this plane many times. And from what I've heard, it uh, looks like maybe Tailwind had play, played a factor in this accident. It's all guesses, right? So right, we, right. we consider about a, a deep landing followed by a rejected landing, maybe. It rains a lot in the Amazon rainforest. So when it's raining, it's really tricky. The ceiling is really reduced. Um, it takes maybe one hour more to to get this this rain to, or shower dissipated. So it's it's a tricky tricky environment to to fly in. Definitely. Have you flown to this uh, particular location before? John? Uh, probably more than. 10 times definitely. okay so you're familiar with it how is yeah, the airport um, itself how's the runway is it a it's probably not a grooved I've, runway or it's probably slippery no, when it's wet no it's, it's not grooved i've flown in the, i cannot say a similar condition because i i, I didn't see how was the weather in mm -hmm. this particular event but i have flown when it was raining or just after raining i don't remember any problem regarding uh breaking action of the runway mm -hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't, I really, I don't recall about any complaints regarding the, the run, if it's slippery or not. So for me, it is, is a good one way. It's, it's really good. 1,200 meters long. Uh, so I, I can say almost 4,000 feet, 4,000. Okay. Yeah. 4,000 feet. I think. Yeah. If my, if my math allows me, I think it's something closer to that. I think it would be something close to that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I consider it a good, as a good runway. However, for the Bandeirante operation itself, it's like is what we need for a safe operation. If you have something shorter than that, it can be not that good for for safe operation. If you if you consider uh, to follow the, the the performance calculations and and stuff, so one thousand two hundred meters is is quite good. However, as I as as I told you, tailwind, maybe the rain, maybe mm -hmm. contaminated runway. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Right. Agi? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to start with our condolences to the families of the pilots and the um, and the families of the passengers, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, just like John, I flew the Bandeirante, but in a different company, different uh, time. And uh, what I can say about the airplane, obviously, a... Uh, Two engines. I'm looking at my iPad with my notes here. With a two engines, a turboprop, 19 seater. It's an airplane in this, in its construction and conception is a very simple airplane to be flown. It depends on the uh, what you have on your dashboard in terms of equipment and uh, what you have available on the ground that will take you and lead you to the um, to the running safely. But Thinking about this accident, um, it's very hard to obviously get to conclusions at this moment with uh, so little information. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about the equipments that this specific airplane carried, but the ones that I flew back in the days, they had only the CVR, just the voice recorders to be recovered. And um, we'll see how it goes from then on. We have In Brazil, we have a very competent uh, 
um, military organization that deals with investigations, which is called CINIPA. And uh, I'm sure these guys are going to do a great job on finding out what happened. As per the pictures, you see it's a, a crash that literally just hit front-wise, like on the, on the end of the runway. So probably, like you said, the deceleration would be the final reason for that, how they end up in that situation. Uh, I'll leave to the uh, to Senipa to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And just to let you guys know, like Senipa, it's the equivalent of the NTSB for us down here. Okay, good, good. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Henrique. All right. Well, yeah, as I said, our condolences to uh, all the uh, folks that lost their lives and their family and friends, and uh, you know, our prayers and thoughts go with with all of them. And uh, yeah. So yeah, as Guy said, just uh, a highlight again. I. I I'm guessing according to what I received on WhatsApp and everything is pure, purely guess, you know, so I'm not judging at the pilot as well. Right. I don't think that if what they did, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to guess what they did. I'm just trying to, to bring some highlights of what could have happened, Right. but I'm not, not considering if their actions were right or not. So just a few characteristics of the region, uh, Jeff and people with us is that uh, because it's in the Amazon jungle, and that region is very humid, very hot. It uh, grows uh, big CB clouds all over the place every time. And it takes a long time to dissipate, like uh, John said before. Sometimes uh, the information about those cells' existence itself doesn't go uh, so fast during on the um, meteorological information system. And uh, that thing can grow up really fast. So eventually this guy might have been caught with that as well. So. Yeah. I, sometimes when I look at uh, South, I mean, South America and uh, the radar uh, images and satellite imagery, um, I see some of those storms. I think, oh my gosh, that's yeah. just like. It's very close boom. to the ITCZ as well. So oh, I, I love that that's, place. That's, <laughs> <laughs> Not. Yeah. Very unfortunate to be crossing that line up and down every week. Oh, it, you do? Mm. It's, yeah. it's quite it's a, it's a quite tricky region, especially flying those smaller craft. And mm. with a talking about the aircraft I've flown, is you cannot rely one hundred percent on your radar as well, right? So your mm. weather radar. So it's it it is delicate. It's, it's really complicated uh, operation. Although we we do it yearly, and we go to Barcelos as the the news says from September. To February is the high demand season, so we have lots of flights to to Barcelos with features. Um, so we we we're used to this operation. However, when the weather catches us, as as he said, is something sometimes we cannot predict. Yeah, well, as I mentioned in the in this article, at least the information that we have from G one, uh, two previous attempts at landing from two other airplanes uh, were waved off. They they decided to go around and and not attempt the landing at the time. So, um, yeah. So as and you make a good point uh, here uh, on the show. We we talk about these things a lot of times. We don't really have much information at all about you know what happened, and we can only make some 
you know, guesses about that. But as you said, we won't really know for sure until the investigatory uh, agencies have a chance to do all the, uh, you know, the deep diving into uh, all the all the circumstances and come up with what they think are the probable causes. So we are just... Uh, UHF Blackhawk agrees about the weather. Let's see. Uh, UH uh, Blackhawk in our live audience says, he says, I love South American destinations, but not flying there due to the weather. Yeah. He loves the people, but not the weather. <laughs> yeah, and the weather here, it works a little bit different compared to the United States and the Northern Hemisphere. So the season that we tend to have those severe thunderstorms, especially in the Amazon region, it's now in this time of the year. Even though summer is chaotic as well, uh, there is some peculiarities to, to the season. So it's always challenging for us. To, to, to fly over there and not just flying like the Bandeirantes. I think João can talk a little about what he's currently flying as well. That can go a little bit higher mm-hmm. than that. And it's always tricky to, to fly over there. Yeah. And, and especially because it's, it's a, you, you don't have many cities in this region. So thinking about an alternate as well is, is something hard because you need to carry extra fuel more than you would carry if you're flying the southern brazil so and you have the weather factor so sometimes you divert to a place that is worse than the one you diverted so mm. some some of the the factors that we have in, in amazon and sometimes uh people uh decide not to try to land somewhere and they try to go to their alternate uh, uh, destination and they don't make it and they land in an open field and we're going to talk about that uh, soon in our list of news items. Uh, well, thank you very much for your uh, comments uh, regarding this, and we'll just have to we'll keep our eyes and open eyes and ears open uh, to to hear what uh, they can come back. They, when we have the report. Uh, yeah, maybe a good point. Maybe we can have you guys back when they do kind of come up with that uh, final report. And of course, that may be some time, and uh, and it depends well, on how much money they, yeah. they they give me if they're going to come back or not. Um, uh, let's, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> another comment from, uh, Kyle Rost, Rostevchev. Rostevchev. Okay. Of ours. Yeah. Oh, how did you know how to pronounce his name? <laughs> okay. He says, nobody knows how to pronounce that. Okay. Uh, he or she, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, says, uh, Amazon <laughs> is the uh, back country flying in Brazil. Okay. Background like the outback or something, huh? Um, yeah, I think you guys have given us a really good um, idea of you know the the conditions and the geography and the climate in that area. So uh, that's awesome. All right, let's uh, continue on then with our next item, which is you? oh, it's a video. So let me quickly upload that. Okay, uh, before I play the video, which hopefully fingers crossed is going to play. Um, let me set up this uh, news item. Uh, the um, There's a, a company, an organization called LiveATC.net uh, that is pretty prolific here in the, uh, in the North American continent, especially the United States, that uh, a lot of uh, volunteers record um, audio. Uh, communications, uh, different communications channels. And somebody had theirs all set up to uh, hear the conversation occurring at an airport in the San Francisco Bay Area, San Carlos. 
And um, apparently it's a place where they do a lot of flight training. And uh, one of the uh, flight training flights up there apparently might have been a check ride. Uh, there was an FAA examiner or a, a designated examiner on board the flight. We're doing some uh, pattern work at San Carlos. And now we're going to hear a little bit of the communications with the very pleasant tower people. 314, extend that one to the uh, cement. Question, extend that one to the Kaiser Hospital, runway 30, clear to land. Extending downwind, clear to land, 30, base 514. Sequencing base 514. Base 514 has been cleared to land. Roger, base 514. Gotta listen. Base fourteen, you're instructed to turn base at the Kaiser Hospital. Uh, unfamiliar with Kaiser Hospital, base 514. Then why didn't you say something? Uh, what do you want me to do, base 514? You can land the airplane, sir. Base 530, traffic is falling is extended to the Kaiser Hospital. Uh, negative 530 is at Kaiser Hill's departure. Sorry, base 530. Base 522, your traffic is at the Kaiser Hospital. Uh, traffic at Kaiser Hospital, base flight 22. Traffic inside base flight 22. Base flight 22, runway 30, number 2, cleared option. Number 2, clear for the option, uh, runway 30, flight 22. Just 57, question, base flight 14, left at uh, Delta Taxi Parking via Julia. Left at Delta Taxi Parking via Julia. Bay 514. Bay 514, ask the in there where the Kaiser Hospital is, will you? Roger, Bay 514. Everyone knows where that is, it flies out of here. Let's get the training uh, off the air, shall we? I'm sorry, who is that? This is the examiner on board plate uh, 14. I'm saying let's leave the controller training off of frequency. Sir, you fly the airplane, I'll fly the tower. How's that? Hey, Mr. Examiner, why don't, if, if a, if a uh, pilot doesn't know a, a command, isn't he required to ask the controller for a clarification? You're partly blocked. If a, if a pilot does not know what a controller is instructing him to do, isn't he required to ask for clarification? Take it off air, sir. I'm not taking anything off air. Have a good day. Okay, um, and a little prologue to this video here. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, the incident was with a designated um, pilot examiner on board who had the opportunity to talk afterward. He said that the incident immediately got run up the chain of command in the San Jose FSDO, Flight uh, Services District Office. Is that right, uh, Camacho? Uh, both of our two controllers are in serious trouble of losing their jobs. Um, yeah. So, okay. Is this the right way to have communications, um, at a, at an airport, uh, with, you know, let me start. He did instruct the, uh, the, the student pilot, I'm assuming a student pilot uh, or a pilot on uh, a check ride of some sort, uh, we're assuming again, uh, to extend to the Kaiser Hospital. And he does make a, a point that if you don't understand what it was that you were supposed to do, as far because that's critical, you know, you want to make sure that you're turning your base where they where the tower wants you to turn base. If you don't really know where that is, then uh, it is uh, an important thing to, to, to query about 
where is the Kaiser? I'm not familiar. Where is the Kaiser Hospital? Call my base or something like that. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that everybody here would agree with me. The tower controller was really, really out of line as far as the comments he was making and being very snarky. And then some of his editorial commentary regarding, you know, what the pilot should be doing, uh, et cetera. And just really, again, just completely uh, inappropriate uh, comments being made by the controller. Very snarky, very sarcastic, very uh, anyway. That's that's my feel for it, uh, Camacho. I know that you're the one that mentioned uh, this uh, before we started recording. You know, you said let's talk about this because this is just not this is not the right way to do things. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, a, a number of things frustrated me there. Right, the uh, um, I, first of all, the the controllers are are should be there to assist the pilots in operating their airplane in the safest manner that they can. And I feel like the way that this controller um, dealt with this situation is complete opposite, right? Like he gave him, uh, he, he gave him a, 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 a command or he told him what to do. Yeah. So the pilot should have said, I don't understand. Like that's, I think, I think everyone would agree to that. Uh, but the fact that the controller um, continued to, uh, it didn't seem like there were any comments regarding, uh, like a loss of separation or any actual safety issues. Um, and I think the thing that frustrates me the most is that this guy was using a call sign, like a specialized call sign, right? Which is probably, I assume there's a flight school on the field there. Cause you heard a couple of other airplanes also using that Bay flight name. Right. Um, and so, take that part out of the equation. I think the controller acted completely inappropriately. Um, his desire to, uh, engage in this, uh, confrontational situation, uh, all of that's bad. And then it's just magnified even more when you think about the fact that he knows exactly where that guy is flying out of. He could solve this. He could solve this problem by going down there and talking to the flight school. He could have a, positive interaction with the student in the flight school, even if he had a negative interaction, he could go down there and say, Hey, you know, here's what you did wrong. You need to fix this. He could be a jerk about it, even though I don't think he should, but he could do it in the flight school. And the fact that he instead decided to do that while that guy was in the airplane, still in the air for part of it, uh, is incredibly unprofessional and inappropriate, I think. And not only that, I mean, the guy was on a check ride. I mean, that's certainly not anything that you want to yeah. have thrown yeah. in there extra. You know, so, like, yeah. So short of an in-flight emergency, probably the most stressful situation that guy's going to be in in an airplane. Mm-hmm. And this controller's like, let me make it worse. <laughs> yeah. No, some, some people say, well, maybe that controller just was having a bad day. Well, okay. We all have bad days, but when you're... <laughs> When you're doing your job and you're on the radio, you have to put everything all out of the way and focus on doing your job right. And as you said, uh, air traffic control services are there. The service is for the people flying the airplanes. That's why they're, I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, if, if it weren't for the people out there flying airplanes, they wouldn't really have any reason to be doing their job. Right. Yeah. And the other thing is it, I, I mean, I've ran into this a couple of times in the various places that I've flown around, but it, it kind of frustrates me when 
um, uh, control authorities will use local landmarks like that. I've flown in a number of places that do that, right? And I, I don't think they shouldn't do it, but uh, in my mind, I, I always kind of feel like the, um, I always kind of feel like it should be on the pilot to you to use those first, or you know, if there's a control interaction where there's like a positive identification, the controller knows some guy that's flying in and out of there every day. Um, I, I think that that's one thing, but to to be using a uh, a landmark that's not on probably not going to be on any aeronautical chart or documentation. Um, I, you know, that, that just doesn't seem like a, a good practice. Uh, and if, and once again, like it, like I mentioned earlier, they're working with a local flight school. Uh, it seems easy enough to have a big map on the wall of the flight school and just have the, uh, controllers have a, clear understanding with the flight school, you know, like, Hey, these are the things that are common around here. These are the things you should be teaching to, right. uh, it'd be really easy to say like that hospital is a really common, uh, visual reference point for where that we use to turn base or something or that hillside or that school building. Um, and once again, sort that out on the ground rather than, uh, you know, getting very confrontational in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just would like to add one point here that regardless if that was a check ride or not, uh, the controller was, uh, it's not on his role or on his, his duty to, to escalate the situation, getting a heat argument on, 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 on frequency. Like what's the point of that? Like right. he didn't speed up anything. He didn't help anything with that. Probably they shouldn't. I don't know if it was his first check ride or not. Uh, he got nervous because he, it was something that um, he was not expecting. And for us that are now sitting here listening to the episode, making the recording, it's quite easy. But we don't know about the pressure, how was the check ride, how that student was feeling by the time he was on, on the check ride. So maybe just something that sounds really simple, like extending a downwind could, could add a lot of pressure on him and uh regardless of that i don't think that was the the, the role of the of the tower controller to to accelerate the situation and getting some snarky and some rude comments on yeah. frequency so absolutely uh, and absolutely well i think we all agree that was really unnecessary comments from either side but um if I understand understood correctly, this is a, a small place with an air uh, school controllers that they probably will end up uh, having lunch at the same restaurant on the next day. So uh, what is interesting is that some places they actually they bring the controllers closer to the uh, pilots or to the airplanes, or eventually they take the controllers with them on the operations to actually show them, hey, this is how our life looks like. Take care of us. That's why we need to we need from you guys. Mm -hmm. And um, on the other hand, some pilots have the opportunity to actually visit the tower and see how stressful to be a controller is. So um, this kind of communication can be trained as well. This kind of understanding from both sides, or I would say some empathy from all, both sides that, that can be teached, you know? Um, and I believe that it can be trained. At the end of the day, we leave, uh, we can, 
surely say nowadays is a multi multicultural world we are living in right now. So we have to clarify all those things. Yes, yeah, a good point. Um, the uh, our live audience is making some really um, pertinent comments regarding this whole thing. Um, KFC make good winglets. <laughs> Had uh, mentioned that does the controller not uh, know to clog the air? And of course, UH uh, Blackhawk is agreeing with him, saying, "Yeah, uh, clog the frequency." Uh, with their argument is not a, it's a safety issue when they when they do that. And then uh, Super Fred Driver, our uh, C five super c5 guy uh who i had a nice meetup with uh, not too long ago and here in atlanta uh the examiner tried to de-escalate and towers seemed to want to prove a point should have been handled over the phone with cooler heads and yeah the examiner uh somebody else had made the uh, the point that the examiner had tried to defuse this entire situation and say hey look just let's this is not the the time to do this kind of training you know let's let's talk about this you know when everybody has cooled off a little bit and you know in a different uh atmosphere and a different venue has a comment that captain nick would approve of oh i see uh mazoots is making a very good point this controller is practicing for his new job at john f kennedy international (laughs) 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 yeah he'd he'd fit right in wouldn't he um Anyway, I'm, I'm hoping I, I'm not hoping that this controller lost their job, but I certainly do hope that somebody took him aside and said, "Look, the, what you did was, as we just said, very inappropriate. Don't do this again. And if you do, then maybe you should be worrying about finding some other kind of a job." And one last comment before we move on: uh, UH Blackhawk and our live audience says, "Being married has helped me deal with air traffic control." I'm sorry. My fault. Oh, that that will get you a long way for sure. I'm sorry, darling. I well, don't say darling, probably to the controller, unless you really know that. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll try harder next time. You're right. I was wrong. I'll try harder next time. Uh, that doesn't always work, but you know, it's a good place to start. I think. Yeah, it helps. Okay, and um, let's uh, continue on with. Uh, okay, uh, let me uh, take a brief uh, moment to try to load another video file and hopefully again it'll work and uh, this is another uh, tragic uh, accident and uh, to set it up uh, let me start by saying from airdatanews.com the uh, Italian Air Force's uh, aerobatic team um, which is Frecce Tricolori. See how well I pronounced that? Here, that deserves a bell that right there. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, thank you. I practiced <laughs> that accent too. Um, they uh, were just taking off from Turin, Italy, uh, when one of the uh, jets had some kind of trouble and the pilot ejected. And uh, uh, anyway, the, he did manage to eject. Uh, and he uh, ended up uh, safely landing, but the aircraft ended up hitting a car where a family of four were traveling. Um, a five-year-old girl, unfortunately, passed away. And uh, let me see if I can uh, share this video of the uh, crash. We see the uh, team in the background.
And you can see the uh, ejection and the uh, couple swings of the parachute before the uh, pilot uh, landed. And, uh, and also, I think, sadly, uh, at the very beginning of the video, uh, was I think probably one of the cars that was uh, hit, a family of four was in the car. And as I mentioned in the news article, a uh, five-year-old uh, child died. And I, I also should have mentioned that this was sent in to us by APG community member uh, Giovanni. And he said, yeah, here's the news of a, a terrible accident. And uh, the, he mentions the five-year-old girl dying in the car involved. Uh, thank you, Giovanni, for uh, Giovanni for uh, sending that in. But uh, yeah, very very tragic uh, situation. All right, really not much to say other than we're not sure exactly why uh, the uh, airplane, or the the pilot of the jet, had to uh, eject. But uh, there is some. Uh, people surmising that they may have had or speculating thank you uh that they had a bird strike possibly uh, i don't know much about the particular jet here it's a um, uh, aramachi or aramaki uh, mb339 jet i think it's a trainer certainly looks like one anyway it looks like a front and back um, uh, type of a military training jet do you know something about it camacho uh no not a lot not other than what i just read on the internet yeah before the show but Looks yeah, like a single engine airplane single I mean, engine yeah it's uh one of the unfortunate aspects of a of a single engine jet right is that uh there's not a lot of margin you're still flying a jet airplane with a jet wing and uh when you have engine issues it's, it doesn't leave you a lot of options right yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's the reason why they do have ejection seats in these kind of jets. Um, and sadly, there are times when to, to save the pilot's life that they have to hope that the jet doesn't involve any innocent bystanders. And in this case, it looks like it did, which is uh, yeah. And, and I think it is important to note uh, it. It's t tremendously unfortunate what happened to the child. But when you look at the pictures, it's not a. It's not a. Uh, heavily developed area right like I, I feel like based just based on this picture at the top yeah that we're showing here you know going off that runway if i was in an airplane and i had the opportunity to eject or fly the airplane to the ground the first thing on my mind definitely wouldn't be like well if i if i eject what about the people my airplane's gonna hit because there's just not a lot of structures or things around there no, so. and you really don't have time. I mean, it was a very, very time critical thing that you know, if you wait too long to eject, then it's gonna you're gonna die and possibly involve innocent people as well. So, um, yeah, as a uh, UH uh, Blackhawk in our live audience says, every pilot's nightmare probably staying with the airplane wouldn't have changed the outcome. Yeah, you're right. I don't think it would have. Um, and Jim Fulton um, is saying that the MB339 is a, the Italian equivalent of the BAE, British Aerospace um, Hawk. Hawk, I, I'm told, is the way you pronounce that. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, hopefully you will learn something about that um, incident and what caused it in, in the future. Update on a recent story. Yeah. This is one that I think is quite interesting. We talked about this, I believe, on our last, last episode. Week, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, the accident of the uh, and how you say, pronounce that again, uh, Liz? 
Ural. 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 No, Ural. Uh, Ural. No, Ural. Um, no, Ural. A three twenty at Omsk uh, en route on September twelfth, twenty twenty three. They had a hydraulic failure, ran out of fuel. Force. You know, the title really doesn't do a very good job of summing up what happened here. Uh, the flight was uh, uh, flying from Sochi uh, in Russia to Omsk, um, and they had uh, alternate aerodromes of uh, Novosibirsk. Um, and uh, they talk about their fuel load. And, and anyway, um, the reason why we're updating this is that on the 14th of September, investigators summarized the interview uh, with the captain of the flight, stating that the aircraft had been inspected without any anomalies for departure from Moscow's uh, That's from a real air traffic controller in Russia, Vlad. Hope you're still listening, Vlad. We haven't heard from you in a while. Um, anyway, so they were uh, going from... Um, that uh, airport in Moscow to uh, uh, towards Sochi. Um, And then the flight from Sochi had been normal until, I guess they started in Moscow, went to Sochi and then to, to Omsk and the winds were gusting in Omsk. The aircraft was heavy. So the commander decided to not take the risk of trying to land in Omsk and decided to take the aircraft to Novosibirsk. Uh, during the go-around, a hydraulic failure occurred after gear retraction. This is some of the information we didn't know last week when we talked about this. We knew they had a hydraulic failure, but we didn't know at what point uh, the hydraulic system failed. And so we were thinking maybe the gear was stuck down. But apparently, uh, the hydraulic failure occurred after the gear was retracted. A green hydraulic pressure was lost. Um, nose gear doors remained open as a result of insufficient hydraulic pressure. Uh, they computed the fuel and found that they should have about 1,200 kilograms of fuel left in Novosibirsk. While in flight, the fuel quantity suddenly began to critically decrease. The crew declared an emergency, instructed cabin crew to prepare for an emergency landing, and began to look out for a suitable uh, landing field. And uh, that's actually where they landed, uh, in a field. When only about five minutes of fuel was left, they spotted the landing site and landed the aircraft there successfully. Only the nose gear was fractured. On uh, the 15th of September, so just five days ago, the airline reported that the that following the go-around, the crew was monitoring their fuel usage, which was fine. Only after crossing the point of no return to Omsk, the fuel quantity suddenly began to critically decrease about 70 nautical miles short of their top of descent. The crew did not wait until fuel was exhausted, but began to immediately prepare for an emergency landing, spotted the landing site from the aircraft when only five minutes of fuel was left, and landed with 200 kilograms of fuel remaining in pounds. That's about 441 pounds of fuel. That is like, <laughs> we're on fumes at this point. Uh, now, interesting to me, the, the, in the interview with the captain, uh, said that coming into Omsk, uh, the winds were, what did they say? Um, uh, well, the aircraft was heavy and uh, the winds were gusting even though I didn't see that in the METAR. Um, but the uh, the commander, the captain, decided to not take the risk of trying to land on the runway in Omsk and decided to try to get to their uh, diversion uh, airport. So looking at the METARs, for around the time of this incident, the winds were 9 
meters per second, zero six zero degrees, nine meters per second. No, and again, I, unless I'm reading this wrong, I don't see anything about a gust factor there. And I used a conversion um, app to, uh, that's about 18 knots, 17 and a half knots of wind, zero six zero. Now you may ask, well, what runway was in use there? Well, they have runway, they have a couple of grass runways, but they're asphalt runway, the hard surface runway, 8,202 feet long, 2,500 meters long, runway seven. So the winds are pretty much down the runway, uh, just 10 degrees off the uh, runway heading um, at 17 and a half knots. Um, again, I'm thinking, well, that sounds like pretty decent conditions in in my mind. I, maybe somebody might disagree with me here, but I'm just kind of scratching my head why the commander decided that the weather conditions were such that it wasn't safe to land at Omsk and instead made this diversion, which of course yeah, failed spectacularly. Oh, uh, Liz thinks perhaps he had a girlfriend at, in uh, Novosibirsk. Uh, that's possible, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so let's see. Um, Guy, um, Garamo, well, or go out yeah, of um, you're you're a uh, just to inform people uh, of your credibility. Uh, you are a an airline pilot, and you fly what now currently? Yeah, I flew the three uh, twenty most of my life. I okay. started on seven three sevens, and I flew as well the three thirty and seven eight seven. After pandemic, I managed to get back a job on the seven three seven again. That's what I'm flying. And I actually fly to Novosibirsk, which is the capital of Siberia. And I flew, I didn't fly to Sochi, but I have no idea where this other city is. And like you said, uh, I thinking about the Airbus philosophy of uh, calculating uh, when you have a hydraulic failure and um, it depends on which stage of the flight you had that failure, basically. If you had that failure with your gear down, uh, the consequences are different than when you had the failure with the gear up. It, it depends basically when that failure happened. So you have to consider the fuel, the extra fuel you're gonna burn uh, when you have that uh, the kind of failure. So it, it, it basically, I don't know if this gentleman took care of that uh, part. I'm reading through everything what you said, and the fuel penalty is about 25%. So that's quite a lot to think about another hour flying away. I don't know. Um, and like I said, I didn't see any uh, gusting here. I'm not familiar with uh, Omsk, uh, that place. So again, uh, interesting stuff to see decision-making process happening all the time and how people actually got to their final decision on diverting or actually okay i can't divert anymore now i have to put the plane down so um it's not the first time we've seen this part of the world things happening uh like that so basically the line of thought over there is a little bit more goal-minded that's what i would say okay so mission mission you know uh priority right oh. Yeah, I believe those guys fly very safely, to be honest with yeah. you, uh, because I've, I've flown with uh, some Russian colleagues here, and they're very, very knowledgeable. 
these guys are very good pilots. So maybe almost so, in this case, maybe a little bit too conservative um, and not understanding the implication yeah, of that yeah. extra drag uh, getting mm-hmm. to the desti- uh, the uh, alternate. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, as I said, I was just kind of scratching my head thinking, well, I don't really see the danger in the, the, the original destination airport. Um, and of course now I'm sure they're looking back at it going, yeah, we really probably should have tried to land at the, uh, the destination airport instead of, you know, um, going somewhere else. But yeah, that's true. Um, well, everything, everything can happen, but I think that black Hawk says that I'm an air, he was an Airbus pilot. So of course the winds are too gusty. Yeah. <laughs> Airbus is a, sorry. Uh, we, we are going to go into uh, those uh, three biblical discussions, one of them being Boeing versus Airbus. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, and we never do yeah, that here. We never discuss yeah, I, uh, the pros and cons of each airplane. <laughs> yeah, I, the other two biblical discussions and uh, controversies are basically good versus evil and Santos Dumont versus Wright Brothers. So we are not going to go into that. Oh, they're, oh my goodness. I didn't even think about that. And <laughs> no, certainly no, no, you would no, have to bring it up. About <laughs> of course, they will love me for that. Um, <laughs> go Brazil. Airbus, to be honest with you, yay. But Airbus, to be honest with you, I really like to land that kind of airplane on crosswinds. Uh, it's not hard to, to land an Airbus on a crosswind. But as experienced pilots and people that are trained on it, they know and they understand the philosophy behind the flight controls architecture. So what they have to do prior to land, what they have to do before the last 500 feet, the last 1,000 feet, things change quite dramatically on the very last few uh, meters or feet of the flight. And uh, I'm sure that he had a good reason. It's basically a way to try to get it out of him and see hey why did you do that so it's it's interesting to see how this i'm familiar with decision making process and how to create those kind of uh, structures but i would like to understand what he thought on creating that decision very very good uh, commentary and I, i'm so glad that we have somebody like you who has experience in both uh, of those worlds of uh, Airbus and Boeing and all the others. Um, and they are both beautiful as long as they paid salary. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and they're, exactly. They're both wonderful airplanes in my mind. You know, I so love them all. Yes, I love them as well. All right. Okay. Um, I think uh, hopefully we'll we'll get a better understanding of exactly what the the thought thought process and decision-making process was, um, or maybe not, maybe we'll never hear anything else about it. Uh, but, uh, it was an interesting one, but I mean, I tell you what, if you're going to land the airplane on something, a non-prepared surface, you know, made for landing airplanes, well, that was a great place to land that airplane. And, uh, you know, nobody was injured and they did a great job. So, um, hats off. To, to the uh, pilots there as far as the actual landing was concerned in the field. Um, we're going to continue with another p- uh, video from Bass Aviation, Real Aviation Communications. Okay, and the airplane looks like just took off. Hey, mate, 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 career track 319, bird strike. Okay, looks like another flight school 
call sign or sounds like a flight school call sign, career track, <laughs> uh, just shortly taking off in a high-wing Cessna. Career track 319, or Roger, if you need to slide over to 17 left, if there's enough runway there, wind 200 at 3, you're clear to land if you can. We're trying, we're trying, we're trying to get some airspeed, career track 319. Okay, based on that commentary from the tower, um, they were taking off on 17 right, and it looks like the longer runway, 17 left, was still off to their left, and perhaps some of the runway remaining, but it looks like our accident pilot decides to continue to con uh, try to fly the airplane, get some speed, and, and get the airplane to climb. Uh, climbing, able to maintain slight climb. Attention all aircraft, everybody else remain at pattern altitude. Do not approach the runway. Career track 319, any surface you can get to, you're clear to land. Great controlling there, taking control of the situation, clearing everybody out of the way, telling so that there's plenty of opportunities for this pilot if they need to come back to the airport. Career track 319, uh, might have to put it down on the golf course over here. There's a golf course off. Wind calm, altimeter 3020. Slightly to their left, but almost straight ahead. Crew check 319, we're able to maintain a slight climb. I'm going to put it down on the golf course. Crew check 319. Crew check 319, Roger, we're rolling the gear. Crew check 246, change to 17 left. Runway 17 left, clear to land. Your base is approved. 17 left, clear to land. Uh, crew check 246. Track 600, possible fault on the runway. Follow the Cessna, turn to base, change to 17 left runway, 17 left, clear to land. 17 left, clear to land, look out for fault. Career track 600, number two. Wind 200 at three. Career track 319, are you still with us? And uh, the video is showing the aftermath of the touchdown. Career track 600, would you guys mind doing a low approach and flying south out uh, straight out there and taking a look at the golf course for us? Yeah, we'll do it. Uh, we'll report as soon as we can, career track 600. All right, Towers, career track 600. we got a plane, a Cessna, upside down in a field over here. We look like there's two people walking away from it, though. Career track 600, Roger, can you tell if the field is the golf course? Is the field near the golf course for uh, the crews there? It's, uh, it's right in the middle of the golf course, but it's not on any of the fairways. It's right next to the pond over here. Gotcha. Okay, they're showing some um, photos of the uh, airplane uh, on its, uh, it's upside down, it's on its back, and uh, both on board, walked away uninjured. So another great job well handled by uh, the pilots of, uh, in the aircraft. Well, I'm assuming there were both pilots in the aircraft. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, so we talk about uh, on occasion, especially in general aviation, single engine, um, general aviation propeller aircraft, the uh, what do they call that? The impossible turn uh, where, you know, the, uh, people have been tempted to in this situation to try to get the airplane turned around and, you know, make a big U-turn or more back to the uh, runway that you took off on and, I think in most cases, unless you have ample speed and ample al altitude, uh, it's the, the reason why they call it the impossible turn is that it's usually impossible to uh, do that maneuver. Um, 
And in this case, um, the uh, pilot flying looks like they did a great job of understanding that that was probably not an option for them and that they had to look for a place to put it down. A golf course <laughs> is a very nice thing to have in front of you when you're looking to uh, to land, when your engine is has failed or is failing. And uh, looks like it was a good decision to, to do that. Uh, any yeah, get a mayday call. That's uh, that's true, uh, Liz. That's something uh, that we're finding more and more happening here in the United States. I know that uh, our our guests from the uh, other aviation podcasts know that um, it's pretty much a universal thing around the world for people. Instead of saying declaring an emergency, to say mayday, mayday, mayday. And I think I I don't know my anecdotal um, experience and. Uh, understanding is that uh, we're, we're hearing that even here in the United States more and more. And perhaps they're, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And funny enough, like, uh, I know that there are some differences between the FAA rules and, and the ICAO rules, which are the rules that are almost uh, equal across the globe. So yeah, according to our standard physiology, we need to use Mayday to, to start emergency calls and Another yep. call that we use, it's pen pen, but that's for another day, for another mm-hmm. hour. I uh, just don't want to sidetrack a lot, of, a lot here. Yep, you're you're right. Um, Camacho, uh, good decision on this uh, in this case. Yeah, yep, definitely. Uh, like you said, you, you know the sad, the uh, frustrating or disheartening part of the impossible turn is um, a lot of times if you can't make it. Uh, you know, it results in a, um, if it's mishandled, right, it results in a much more significant accident than uh, an engine out landing straight ahead with the airplane under control. Um, so especially in this scenario where the guy had, uh, you know, clearly had fairly flat land in front of him, he was able to identify a suitable field for landing. The airplane did flip over, unfortunately, but it's, you know, that, uh, in the grand scheme of things, that's that's pretty minor, um, and uh, you know did a good job of uh, maintaining control of the airplane all the way to the ground versus you know the possibility uh, you know does would have existed. I'm not saying that this guy would have, but you know if he would have uh, started turning back to a runway, um, you know you get three fourths of the way there and you can see the runway out of the top of the windshield. And you're not sure you're going to make it. It's just so enticing to just, you know, pull just a little bit more to get there. And that's when bad things start happening. So definitely a good decision. Both guys were fine. The airplane will fly again. So, <laughs> Well, Tim Van Ram in our live audience makes a very good point. If you have a bird strike over a golf course, is that considered a birdie or an eagle? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It uh, depends. It depends, if really, how from, big the bird if is. If he's from Embry Riddle, is a legal. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, yeah. Uh, the I was going to say uh, the biggest um, contrast here in my mind from that first incident with the uh, student pilot, with the uh, examiner and the, at San Carlos. And the air traffic controller here in this particular situation was night and day. This is the way to control. Uh, this is the way to have a handle on the situation, make everything as easy as I can for the pilot who is having the trouble. And, uh, you know, it's just, yeah, well done uh, by the uh, air traffic controller here Yay. on duty. Yeah. 
And the controller didn't ask anything, right? He just said, do whatever you need to be safe. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and I'm a little disappointed, I have to say, that he didn't ask him to get the the, the current ATIS information. Uh, <laughs> nor, nor, nor asked him, like, uh, why are you turning base at the golf course? <laughs> Exactly. So, souls on board, endurance, and souls on board, fuel, board, fuel board. remaining. Yeah, uh, dangerous goods. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, two, two yeah. lithium batteries on board, two iPhones, yeah. probably. <laughs> so you know, it was nice that he said uh, basically everybody else there on that frequency. Hey, this is a dire situation going on here. Don't even try to go toward the airport. Just stay out there. You know, do whatever you need to do. Get out of the way. Stay out of the way. And everybody really played well there as well. They didn't clog up the radio frequency with anything and like just clearing it to make sure that this is going to be a, a good, uh, happy outcome. So well done. Well done. Um, Camacho, this is the one I believe that you, uh, added to our, our news. Uh, why don't you take it? Um, this next news item from CNN.com. Yeah, sure. Uh, so this title, of this is airline executives raise alarm that controller shortage will continue disrupting flights for years to come. The air traffic controller shortage will continue to cause travel disruptions not only next year, but for at least the next five years, airline industry executives say Tuesday. The flight system is suffering, they said, citing the 3,000-person controller shortage that the Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg revealed in a CNN interview earlier this year. It will take five to seven years of hiring to break even if all goes well. Um, Airlines for America chief... Nick Calio said at the Global Aerospace Summit held by U.S. Chamber of Commerce in Washington, D.C. Do we need five, do we need five to seven years of further disruption on a daily basis? I don't yes. think so. Oh, no. No. <laughs> Calio, whose organization represents the major airlines, said that even if the Federal Aviation Administration hired the maximum number of controllers who can progress through its single certification academy, it is not going to be enough for a rapid recovery. He proposed allowing universities with air traffic controller programs to provide the certification courses, as he said other countries do. He said major U.S. airlines would also encourage the Federal Aviation Administration to lower flight levels at major New York area airports, the region where the FAA is most severely understaffed, again next summer. In the spring, the FAA asked airlines to dial back summer flights by 10% at airports such as Newark, John F. Kennedy, and LaGuardia. Last month, the FAA extended the policy into October. Uh, you want me to keep going? Only if you want to. But basically, the gist is, uh, yeah, we I are, think that's the we're in big trouble, right? Yeah. And I, I just bring this up, and uh, the basis of this article is a uh, report from, like I said, uh, Secretary Budicic, which happened back in the spring. But I didn't remember whether or not we touched on it. Uh, but uh, you know the thing that I think uh, is interesting and concerning. We all—I mean, the pilot shortage comes up a lot on our show for obvious reasons. Um, but as uh, critical as the pilot shortage is, that uh, we are also entering a uh, period of time, probably in the next five years, where we're going to have a significant uh, aircraft mechanic shortage. And as it sounds like a, a air traffic control shortage, so it's. I think that our uh, transportation system as a whole is going to see um, significant pain in the next five years. I don't know if it'd be growing pains or just 
transformational, but um, man, it seems like uh, seems like we got to do something to to get the ship back on the to get the train back on the track. You did here. say ship, correct? I, I, I did. Okay, you're very good. Um, uh, I was going to ask our uh, Brazilian uh, friends, uh, is, what's the situation like in Brazil as far as shortages regarding pilot shortages and or air traffic control. Uh, is it the same kind of situation going on there as well? Well, my understanding of the shortage, it's not happening in Brazil, that's for sure. Uh, after the pandemic uh, situation, uh, not all companies uh, picked up again. So uh, there are still unemployed pilots in Brazil looking for a, re- uh, a, new, a new position to be back online, etc. And uh, most of these pilots are actually expatriating uh, and coming to the Middle East. They're going to some places in Europe where they accept uh, you without a passport or some sort of a work permit. And this is quite a hot topic here in the region as well because of this pilot shortage. This pilot shortage, sorry. It's actually uh, opening uh, paths to go to US to work in. Uh, in America, as uh, and there are specific types of visa that can be um, people can apply if you have enough experience to go to America. So, as far as I'm aware, in Brazil we don't have it, and we are receiving a lot of pilots here in uh, in the Middle East, and many of them are rethinking and uh, re rethinking their lives in terms of long careers and uh, they're actually going to us and i think like nick said uh we need to do something in fact uh that something is on the very beginning of uh things like on in schools and uh actually to incentivize kids on the aeronautical industry and uh, guys let's get together let's get connected and let's be uh some sort of a motivational path for these kids to actually enjoy the careers right my understanding yeah. is that we have to love we have to love the job that we do and uh, yeah. if we can share that love with them this is one of our missions here as well yeah. and uh, especially in our team here that we have some 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 type of support for for pilots that want to join the industry especially in the airlines um Juan, for example he works on the on, on preparing um, candidates for the sprinting process of airlines here in Brazil. I try to teach them the little English that I know, so they can apply for the for the AKO English certificates that we need to have in order to to fly internationally because we are not native in the language. And we've been seeing that companies they are hiring, but let's say for example that a company opens a job position and they have like twenty. 20 jobs available so they have to hire like 20 pilots um on the on the other hand you are you are seeing that like 500 people are applying for that so there are people that are capable enough that are uh, well trained within the legal requirements that we have here in brazil one major difference is that we don't require um a candidate to have the atp like you guys have in the united states so in order to work here you just need to have your commercial license and some other minimum experience requirements to work within the airlines but also the the business aviation side here is is looming a lot and there are a lot of hires 
on that segment as well. So lately, like the army said, um, some some airline pilots after the pandemic they started to rethink their goals and what they wanted for their lives. Some some people are leaving Brazil, are going to the Middle East. Uh, there has been a spike here of of people applying for the for the EB two visa in order to work in the United States and get hired by by, by the airlines over there. And some pilots just just had enough with the airlines in there and all migrating to to the business side of aviation down here. Interesting. And it's Interesting a point it's you. kind of a, a sad thing, I think, that um, uh, a lot of people uh, to try to improve their English speaking skills will listen to aviation podcasts like the airline pilot sad. guy show to figure out how to speak proper English. And that's just so sad, I think, that's as, a, as uh, a lot yeah, of people. We had a long discussion, long compliment to <laughs> yeah. yesterday. Yeah, Come some, on. yeah Come some on. sometimes we bring like some American pilots that live in a state in the southern part of the United <laughs> States in order to help our audience, that kind of stuff. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Well, you know, I would say that uh, some of the folks in our live audience are in that other part of the world that uh, is a predominantly English-speaking uh, country, and they um, they don't agree at all with uh, no. with your assessment of how we speak English here in the in the U.S., but thank you very much. I'm glad that we UH have friends Blackhawk in Brazil. UH Blackhawk in our live audience says, and yet the FAA shut down the two remote tower test beds, one in Virginia and the other in Colorado. Huh. Um Interesting. So that's another important. That's another interesting thing about our system. I don't know if you guys in Brazil or anywhere else uh, do this, but in the United States, we also have, you know, the FAA staffs. I don't know, seventy percent of our control towers, but we do have a fair amount of contract towers that are uh, privately operated towers um, or private. Usually, I think retired. Uh, FAA controllers, but they're not FAA employees. Um, yeah. yeah. So down here in Brazil, uh, main, the, the main part of our air traffic control system as a whole, not just the tower, but also approach control and center control, it's all handled by the military here. So it's all part of the, it's a branch of the okay. Air Force. Uh, you have some private towers but that's uh, that's really limited limited here, and only for for small airports. So, for example, for international airports here, you are going to be talking to a military controller. Okay. Uh, yeah, and the other thing I was going to mention is, uh, you know, San Luis Obispo, where I used to live in California, uh, they they also have a contract tower. I think that the controller we discussed in the earlier article <laughs> was maybe a contract controller. Uh -huh. uh, but San Luis Obispo, so they sent this note out uh, a year ago now, and they said, uh, airport users, due to staffing at the air traffic control tower, touch-and-go operations as well as opposite direction VFR practice approaches will not be authorized during the times listed below. And they list, you know, uh, Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday, basically 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the evening. So... That's how some of the airports are, are managing is they're just trying to limit the um, operations that are occurring on the airport. Now, uh, you know, in my mind, that gets weird because, you know, when you start thinking about other businesses being impacted on the airport by that, 
you know, like if you're operating a flight school and you can't essentially go out and do flight training from, you know, the first four hours and the last six hours of the day, that's, uh, it seems a bit challenging. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a problem they got to figure out how to solve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, look at this. Uh, do you guys know this guy named Felix oh, Niemeyer? Yeah. yeah you should. Yeah. Was. Yeah, you, that's our boss. <laughs> He's keeping tabs on you guys. He's he wasn't able to make it. He says, uh, "Hey, dear APG and the uh, Farol de Buzov team." You can call us Lanny Lights. It's, it's easier. Gonna, uh, okay, uh, Lanny Lights. Thank you, Lanny Lights Podcast. I'm extremely happy to see you all together on the show. Hello from my crew transport going to my next duty. I wish I was there online, and uh, he says, "Enjoy your time. Keep up the great job." He's talking to his uh, fellow. Hosts of the Landing Lights uh, podcast. I'm, I've given up trying to pronounce it, uh, the Brazilian Portuguese uh, uh, pronunciation. Anyway, um, so yeah, Felix, uh, we, we miss you. Uh, it was nice meeting you and talking with you yesterday on uh, your show recording. And uh, let's see, let's continue on just quickly. We just have one more item in our news. And uh, last but not least, uh, this is from uh, CBS News. Dot com And this is sent in to us from uh, Robert in Tucker, Georgia. Um, a plane crashes on runway behind the American Heritage Museum in Stowe, Vermont on Sunday. Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Excuse me. Stowe, Massachusetts. Is there a Vermont, a Stowe, Vermont there as is, well? There is, but it has okay. an E on the end of it. Oh, okay. Um, Stowe, Massachusetts. And this is from, I should have known, Mass Live, MassachusettsLive.com. Um, and this picture that you're showing here uh, and was included in the article is, it looks like a postcard to me. <laughs> they know, applied some kind of uh, color filters or something on this thing. It just does not look real, but it's real. A pilot was able yeah. to emerge mostly unscathed after his plane crashed at the end of the runway behind the American Heritage Museum in Stowe, Massachusetts on Sunday, September 17th. Um, the, uh, the, the, um, caption for the photo says the officials said that a single engine plane landed upside down after its landing gear failed to work so the landing gear didn't work so let's just go ahead and land upside down that's some mad piloting skills if you ask me um that's sarcasm by the way he thought he was um, in australia officials got a call about a single engine plane that crashed near barton road uh, near the american heritage museum uh upon arrival crews found a world war one era newport uh, 28, a single engine plane at the end of the runway that was upside down on its roof. I've never heard of the top of an airplane referred to as a roof, but okay. Uh, the pilot who was the only person on the plane was able to pull himself out of the aircraft. He did not report any injuries, but was evaluated as at the scene as a precaution, officials said. Authorities said the plane flipped over because its landing gear failed while trying to land. Yeah, looking at the photo, yeah, I can see it looks like the uh, gear is a little bit uh, compressed and uh, resting against the lower wing of this biplane. And um, yeah, clearly uh, the landing gear didn't, did not do too well on uh, this landing surface. Uh, Jim Fulton in, in uh, the UK says Denzel Washington in a mad dog right there. Yeah, not quite, Jim. I think he managed to land it upright in that field, right? Um, anyway, um, main man Mark, main man Marka, main man Micah says many of the articles uh, said that the aircraft landed on its roof. 
Yeah. And the fixed landing gear can't fail to work. That's true. Well, it can fail to work if it if it collapses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess exactly. it wasn't ex, it wasn't an an extension or retraction issue in this case because the gear is always it extended on its own. Yeah, re, yeah, exactly. Liz said the problem is that the gear did retract. It's just not supposed to. It's not designed to do that. Um, anyway, so we're glad that the uh, pilot uh, got out of that unscathed, and uh, looks like the airplane. Sustained a bit of damage. Hopefully, they'll be able to restore it to its uh, World oh, War One glory. And then Tim Van Ram, always a wisecracker. Typical Harrison Ford landing. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't Harrison. A golf course like that other <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a golf course. That's true, Liz. Um, all right, uh, that's enough. We we had fun with that. Get to know us. And it's time now to uh, get to know us. Uh, the time of the show where, uh, yeah, as as it's named. We get to know each other. Get to know us. And uh, let's see. Get to know some new folks. We're going to uh, get to know some new people. I got to, I got to know them a little bit yesterday, although we, it was actually, uh, to be honest and uh, kind of embarrassingly, I didn't really get to know these guys very much because it, they wanted to know more about me. And you know you me. Couldn't I, stop me, talking me, about yourself, about could you, <laughs> Jeff? <laughs> You're right, Nick. That's for what we paid him to do. Him Wait, to I do thought that. you said, oh. no, we're not going to discuss the payment. <laughs> <laughs> it's our cut. <laughs> and you, you follow the script to the line. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but they kept asking me these questions, Camacho, and I and I had to answer them. You know, otherwise yeah, they weren't yeah. going to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's. Uh, which, who wants to start uh, from our uh, landing lights uh, aviation podcast in Brazil? Uh, let's go ahead. Are you okay? Uh, go, is, go it, is it? Is pointing to me? Well, yeah, he is. Uh, so well. Uh, my name is Guilherme Pigato, and uh, like you're saying, very hard to pronounce. Forget about it. Just go for Pigato. We are fine. And um, we are from Farol de Pozo. I am a volunteer with these guys. I'm basically one of the guys that decided not to be 100% active because I'm doing other stuff as well, but I'm volunteering with them. And basically, everybody here is a volunteer. And um, just a quick uh, story about our podcast is uh, Felix, uh, who was here with us a few minutes ago, and he's going for a flight right now, along with uh, Jean-Victor and uh, Conrado and Guilherme, the other Guilherme Zimmerman. They started this podcast in, they gave this name, Farol de Pozo, which is the landing light, in order uh, to help people, in order to shed some light uh, on people's career and try to help people somehow by doing something. And... Uh, in the very beginning, they started, pod, uh, how can I say that? It's just uh, streaming uh, their flight simulator sessions that they were doing and uh, decided to go through the podcast. And uh, basically, uh, right now, we are podcasting people's stories. So uh, that's why we invited Jeff and we invite uh, people with uh, relevance in aviation and aviation history and aviation uh, scenario where they can literally shed some light on people's life. And we understand that we are a, a small podcast and this is our basically us on our best day of our lives talking with a APG community. And Hickey is hearing, is laughing at me right now and he, he can't hold his mouth. You can see it's just basically from ear to ear. <laughs> and if you think about what is the need 
of a Lenny light on an airplane. We basically use that thing for less than 0.1% of the flight, right? Is take off a Lenny's basically. Uh, it's not that we as Faro Deposo, we are a very small part of your lives or somebody else's life, but that very small part is actually helpful and needed. And that's what we think we can do. Farol de Pose is not only a podcast, it's also uh, in an English uh, school and assessment preparation uh, guidance. That's what Felix does the best and uh, Jean Vitor as well. So they prepare people to uh, go through airline assessments. Uh, in this part of the world, in the Middle East, it's a little bit more than an interview. So it's an interview, sometimes a flight simulator scenario and sometimes an English test, sometimes psychological assessment, etc. So these guys are actually specialized on, on that topic. And they have a side part of the, uh, let's say, the company, which is not a company. We do it for free. And uh, not this part. This part is actually a service that they provide. So um, that's for our deposit. That's who we are. Henrique, I leave to him to introduce himself. I don't know where João is. I can see him on my screen right now. Yeah. But, uh, I just... the, other guys, the other guys, such as Conrado and um, Felix, they are flying today. And uh, Guilherme Zimmerman, he's in Japan, just getting ready for the, his next flight. He's going to Mexico today. So, yeah, we are the lucky ones we're here. Oh, who's the uh, the the uh, captain? A three eighty captain. Uh, which one? That's that's Felix. Felix. Oh, Felix. That's okay, Felix. okay. The yeah. boss. So Felix is a captain. Yeah, <laughs> Conrado as well, trainer, mm-hmm. and um, I'm a first officer. And uh, João is a first officer, and Enrique is just lazy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. Ouch. I mean. Ouch. I would love to love in San Carlos and get some arguments with the controller. But anyways, <laughs> so my name is Enrique. was the last one to join. I'll just share with the word with you. But he's our, basically the new hero of the podcast. Go ahead, Enrique. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my name is Enrique. Uh, I joined the, the team uh, this year in 2023. Initially starting as one of the English instructors, like I said earlier, uh, I try to teach the little English that I know to pilots, especially trying to, to, to help them to get their IKO certificate in order to, to fly internationally. And that's also a requirement here for, for the airlines in Brazil. And also I started being a part of, uh, of the production team here for the podcast itself. So... They are calling me hero because lately I've been hitting some some home runs, especially the one with you, Jeff, on, on our guest lists. <laughs> and um, I mean, uh, I mean, I just help them. And also, I'm trying to to migrate my career currently. I work on the IT sector here in Brazil, and it, thank God it's all on on home office. So I don't need to worry about uh, like getting to the office and I can make everything work on, on my schedule here. So pretty much, yeah, that, that, that's all about me. Awesome. At the end of the day, Enrique, I, I, I said that he was lazy, but at the end of the day, he's the one that works the most of us. So he's 24-7 on the WhatsApp. As you can text, <laughs> he will reply to you in a minute. 
it's impressive. This guy does not sleep. I am pretty sure he does not eat. I have no idea what he does for yeah. that's, uh, yeah. that's who he, he's a yeah. new hero. Yeah. So sometimes you can see myself yawning on, on video, even though we don't use the video part for our podcast, but not, that's not because the guest or the conversation is not interesting. It's because the lack of sleep is knocking on my door. Oh man. Well, you know, that reminds me, uh, you know, 24 seven, um, hero and, uh, you know, just, uh, not lazy in the least bit, uh, a little bit of our, our producer Liz, except for the opposite. No, I'm just kidding. It's just exactly like Liz. Just kidding, Liz. Enrique sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, except Enrique uh, sounds uh, sounds like a nice person. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. At least I sound. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, Liz, we great. love you, Liz. He's being he's being humble. He's great. Yeah. And like here's oh. another founder, or one of the founders of the uh, podcast. Take it over, Joe. Hello. <laughs> Great. Welcome hear. back. Yeah, your volume is uh, super low for some reason. Uh, let me see if I can bump up your um, microphone setting a little bit here. Um, okay, give me a give me a countdown. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's using the mic on your headset. Let me just sit here. Okay. So and if I may add, while John is trying to return, uh, uh -huh. What we did, what we did yesterday, if we can explain the audience, is that we, we invited you to be part of our podcast. So for us, it was a great honor because actually, it's been a few years that I listened Aww. to your podcast since around uh, well, episode one hundred and fifty, something like that. Hello, when I was preparing oh, myself to come. Can we hear you? Can you hear me? It's better now. Yes. I'm using I, I'm using my Max mic. Okay, uh, let me just check one thing. I'm sorry, you you know you interrupted uh, Guilherme. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Guy. Right. He is he's, he's sorry, he is sorry. going to uh, he, he's going to extract he'll, his he'll, vengeance okay. and revenge. He will punish me. Yeah. Okay. Go I just, ahead, uh, John. Just take it over. Yeah. No, ahead, please. John. Or something. What, what am I supposed <laughs> what, what am I supposed to say? I don't know. I wasn't listening to you guys. I'm sorry. Um, I, I'll tell you what, uh, Guy, if, if you don't mind doing what so, you were just talking about, uh, you know, um, in a, yeah, well. yeah, exactly. So I'll, I'll continue and then John take it over. Okay. Uh, so we were actually, we invited you to come to our podcast yesterday and we were very happy that you, uh, actually managed to come because, um, what we did in the past was to listen to your podcast, to improve our English skills, because as we all know, we were born and raised in Brazil surrounded by ocean and Spanish speakers countries. So our connection with English is very, very small in terms of geographic problems. So the fact that the podcast is there and then um, we can actually listen to the things that we like and we can listen to the things that we actually interested in that we are preparing in terms of career. Uh, your podcast is very important uh, for the Brazilian community. Uh, not only yours, obviously, there are other people doing a great job as well, but it's been years. That's not how, true. How many? That's not true. Yeah. No, we're the only ones. <laughs> he buzzed me out. And we're, and we're the best. Okay? Don't you forget that. I know. I know. Okay, just kidding. We are just following our path. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, the that's what is important. <laughs> Follow the script. Uh, 
Oh my goodness. He, he doesn't I, have I a script. I'm just kidding. This, this, this is the wildest day in my life. I never thought that I would be talking and having fun with you. Like, we had yesterday. It was a beautiful day yesterday. It's been a pleasure today as well. And uh, it's it's really important what you guys do because, uh, like you said, we we pay a lot of stuff to make this thing run and we don't get anything in return or whatever we get in return is not enough to call it a job. But we make it work in order to give something to the other people. So it's basically a voluntary job. And... Um, it, it is really important, and sometimes uh, people don't appreciate because it's free. So we do. And uh, one way to return a little bit of this uh, gratitude that we have for something that you've done, that Nick is doing, and people are doing for a long time, is that you guys helped me to get where I am right now. You guys helped me to actually, okay, fine-tune my ear for the English uh, accent, some terminologies that I didn't know. Uh, a lot of things actually helps. So listen, it's just a language. No, it's the main language in aviation industry. So at the end of the day, it's very helpful to everybody. And uh, just to keep John up to speed, we were introducing ourselves. I kind of introduced you a little bit. If I may share the word with him right now, yes. I'm gladly to well, thank you so much for what you just said, Guy. Uh, that's uh, really it. Really warms, touches our hearts, and uh, we're glad. And and it's just amazing that you're out there doing this. You know, volunteering not only the podcast, but also all the other things that you're doing to help the people of your country uh, succeed in their aviation dreams. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that just uh, uh, this brief exposure on this little podunk aviation podcast that we do is going to help you in some way uh, to increase your audience. And as I mentioned on your show yesterday, um, I think a lot of people take for granted, uh, you know, the podcasting podcasts are great. You can listen to a podcast. You don't have to pay a darn thing for them. Uh, but fortunately, there are some people out there, you know, very small percentage. Uh, but it, even that small percentage of people that actually do contribute or donate something to your cause really, really helps in so many ways, covering costs and also uh, encouraging uh, those people doing these creative endeavors to continue what they're doing. It just, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to um, uh, not emphasize enough that uh, we really, really do count on uh, those who uh, decided to to give some value for the value that they're receiving. And uh, and we really, really love our coffee fund cadre, our coffee bar club members uh, for their contributions, however small. Um, it doesn't matter. They all add up. And I, I mentioned on your show yesterday, and hopefully you'll keep that part of it in. I know you'll cut out most of everything that I've talked about and, and slim it down to uh, just maybe um, instead of the six or seven hours that I was spent talking about myself, you'll maybe get it down to like three hours or less. I don't know. But I did mention that, you know, I kind of put out a plea there for those listening to your show. Hey, these people, yeah, they're doing it for free. They knew what they were getting into, but come on. Get you know, give them a dollar or whatever your um, your monetary system is there, um, and and help out because it as little as you know just a dollar U.S. Uh, or whatever that equals to your uh, currency, it, it really does help. And, and so anyway, I'm hoping that uh, our audience here will 
subscribe to your podcast. It doesn't cost a thing to subscribe to a podcast, and it really does help. And and their uh, YouTube channel as well. Hitting the subscribe button on the YouTube channel, and uh, you know, giving a thumbs up on every one of their videos they put on YouTube. That works for us too. If you want to, if you want to do that, uh, it really does help the algorithm, and it, it helps them to grow their audience and help them do what they're doing so unselfishly. And now, John. Your turn. Oh my God! Do I need to <laughs> to present myself? That's it. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah, and don't forget to tell uh, everybody how great the uh, airline pilot guy show is, and you know it's all part of the money that I'm going to be sending to you, you, particularly. Right. If I if I show you the recommendations I send to my students, you are on the top of the oh, list. thank you. Sir, and I'm not paying lip services for, for real. <laughs> oh. uh, it's every, everything that Guy said is, is true. So it's, it's, it's a very useful and good podcast for us to practice and to learn something new. And I, I listen like, for hours and uh, I, I suggest my students as well to do the same. Uh, well, uh, so I am, as you, you thought that I was underage and I almost... I'm 24 and Aww, I've been I'm, like yeah. a little baby, <laughs> a little baby. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they, the, the flight attendants and, and other, other staff, they ask if my mom knows if I'm flying, <laughs> <laughs> if she allowed me, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I got, I got a permission to fly under oh, that's good. with CAA. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Every, everything's legal. Uh, jokes apart. Uh, I've been, I started my career flight career in 2015 so my private pilot by beginning in 2015 and i've been flying an airline since last year actually i've been flying for one year and, and a month so before that i flew as a flight instructor i flew embraer 110 so-called bandeirante and afino i had the opportunity to fly a, in the corporate aviation for a couple of months and now i've been flying the jets for a month and what well, sorry one year and three months so and together along with felix and conrado and the guys uh i helped to to create a podcast uh because the faroj pozo instagram already existed at the time uh felix created it in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic and one year later we start decided to create a podcast trying to to bring interesting people and to enlighten someone's path uh, in order to, you know, if, as if we could talk to, you know, senior people and experienced people and listen to their stories and try to learn a little bit with them. So that's, that's what I'm, I think I'm summarizing already what the guy said, but that's it. <laughs> oh yeah. But you said it so much better than they did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, please. My, my English, my, my English is way worse than theirs. <laughs> no, you guys are doing a great job. Let me tell you, your English is so much better than my Portuguese. You are three, or three words shy to speak Portuguese better than I. So don't worry. About it. <laughs> Just try to, to use a, a, a Spanish accent and you speak Portuguese as perfect as we do. Ah, uh, okay. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, Tim Van Ram, and I don't know about this guy. Uh, APG is the best for learning 50% English. Yes, we always shoot for that 50%, that bar. That we guarantee we're at least 50% correct most of the time. That's the listening part. The other part is speaking, so they can't speak back. 
that's true. That's true. Now, I, if that's we were to rate, if, if we were to rate, yeah, exactly. Thank you for pointing that out. A little extra money goes to him. Uh, <laughs> there we go that way. Um, so, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say about the fifty uh, percent rating. Unfortunately, Tim Van Ram falls in that lower half of the, yeah, uh, he's in the accuracy ten percentile. Ten percentile, Liz says. <laughs> sorry, Tim. No, he's uh, he provides a lot of entertainment. But for humor, though. Entertainment. Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm listening to Liz in my ear, and I can't speak straight. Sorry. Anyway, um, so again, so nice to have all three of you, and I know there are more of you in your organization and your uh, podcasting endeavors, and your uh, more importantly, your endeavors to bring uh, aviation information and encouragement and inspiration to uh the people in your country and uh yeah any any time uh, you guys want to uh, join us again in the future uh that'll be wonderful and uh i'm glad that you're part of our apg community as i guess you're just part of the whole aviation podcasting community in this this world and uh it's small but it's um it's an important uh, aspect Mighty. of what we all do What's Camacho been and, doing? And uh, Camacho, uh, we would like to get up to speed with you. Uh, how is the um, uh, the airplane engine replacement uh, saga uh, going for you? Uh, so I received the engine on Friday. Mm-hmm. I successfully got it off the truck and into the hangar without any issues. I, I noticed in the picture that you sent uh, us uh, on the crew that uh, – the, the the engine in the crate was there, and there was a really nice-looking um, uh, little uh, tractor uh, that was used, I guess, to uh, to wheel that thing around. Uh, did that yep. come with the engine, or um, was that something yeah. you had to buy separately? You would think. <laughs> it should. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I borrowed, uh, I borrowed a tractor with forks. We moved the engine around. Um, the... Uh, Got it opened up. Everything looks real good. Um, so I spent uh, a fair amount of the weekend, actually, uh, we pulled a jug on the Luscom, and Dad and I fixed a jug on the a cylinder on the Luscom. Uh, but then beyond that, I'm still kind of in um, uh, preparation mode to get the engine installed in the debonair. Uh, got it caught a little off guard receiving it, you know, like three months before I expected to, so kind of rushing around to uh get everything prepared for that but that's uh about the extent of what i've had uh what i've done um yeah football football with my son and working on airplanes in the hangar that's about uh, all my life is these days and uh apple pie and what's the other thing that's american Gridiron oh, football. Mom. I was I was going to say gridiron football since we have gridiron football. Of, uh, that's right. Yeah, not the kind of football you guys are real used to. Footballers. <laughs> yeah. The one that you actually play with your foot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know it's probably a misnomer. Uh, the, that's why we say gridiron football. But you know, I, I hate to tell you, but it, ours is the best. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, anyway. What have you been doing? What have I been doing? Liz is asking me. Um, well, of of course, I'm uh, always doing the Singing. thing at my uh, church, and uh, did that again last weekend. And uh, let's see. Oh, 
before I go on with what I've been doing, which isn't very much, um, we need to uh, get an update on the uh, the great Toronto meetup uh, last Friday in Toronto. Uh, uh, well, in Toronto, of course, at the uh, craft beer market in uh, downtown Toronto. Uh, I talked with um, Paul Juracek, and uh, he uh, basically said um, that it was. Uh, kind of a dud nobody showed up except for paul so i'm sorry paul but hey you people in toronto and the surrounding area you let me down you really did <laughs> just kidding um sorry paul um maybe next time we'll be able to promote it a little bit more and we'll get a little bit more uh participation but uh yeah thanks for making the effort and for those of you out there who are in different parts of the country uh and you want to get together with like-minded um aviation uh, enthusiasts, um, do your own meetups and, and, uh, then send us some, some feedback, some pictures, some recordings, whatever. We will be happy to, um, play that on our show anyway. Um, so I'm doing the singing thing. And then of course, yesterday was a, an amazing time. had a great time talking about myself for three hours, um, on their, uh, on the landing light, uh, podcast, and, uh, yeah, so that, that was a, a heck of a lot of fun. And then to top off the day after that great time on their, uh, podcast, uh, I went to a, uh, one of the guys that plays guitar in, uh, one of the, uh, ensembles that I sing in some more, um, more, uh, modern contemporary. contemporary kind of, uh, uh, music, not really super contemporary, but just contem more contemporary than what we traditionally do. Um, they, um, uh, both of the guitar players play in uh, various um, bands, and they've been doing this for many, many years. Um, and uh, Jody um, uh, invited me to come to this uh, restaurant, bar, club, grill, uh, where they were uh, doing some some live music. Uh, the, the name of the group he was playing in last night was called Java Monkey 2.0. I guess Java Monkey uh, 1.0, the original was a big deal here in, in Atlanta, uh, in the early nineties. And, uh, so they've kind of been getting back together. I think they were doing a wedding gig or something, um, in Virginia, like, um, somewhere in the coast of Virginia or North Carolina or something like that. And they thought, Hey, let's do this on a more regular basis. So that's, uh, that's what they're doing. And so I listened to them last night and, uh, man, they're really, really good musicians. And it was a lot of fun. And, uh, I'm going to go to a, the other guitar player, uh, plays bass in the ensemble that I sing in is, uh, going to be doing, um, a show uh, with Banks and Shane in Woodstock, Georgia, uh, tomorrow night. So I get to go and see him you play. Are a social butterfly. And uh, yeah, I've been a social butterfly lately, uh, Liz. That's for sure. And I'm going to go to my my uh, choir director's uh, husband, uh, Dr. Jackson's. Um, he conducts uh, the Cobb uh, New Horizons band. I think it's called. It's a big um, a, a big full band uh, that uh, they're doing a concert. I think Sunday night. So. I mean, I'm just having a great time going to all these live music you don't events. Have any time to fly. So, yeah, I don't have time to fly, Liz. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much it for me. Do you want to cover the cover art in Nick's absence? I do want to cover the cover art in Nick's absence, Miss Liz. Um, so um, I'm going to share uh, that. Okay, last episodes cover art uh, mcdonald no, the title mcdonald dog and harvey rabbit 
at the O'Hare port. Now we kind of made a a combination of some title suggestions from our uh, illustrious um, live uh, chat Chat uh, folks, chat, chat people, uh, trolls, uh, you might want to call them. Uh, And uh, (laughs) this is what uh, Captain Nick, our uh, resident uh, artist genius uh, came up with uh, to uh, uh, kind of illustrate the uh, the title, and uh, so there's a picture of a well, was that a bulldog? I guess uh, there. Yeah, it was. That a looks bulldog. like it has some some kind of green uh, emission from the back part of his uh, his the aft part of his uh, body. Methane gas. Uh, methane warming. gas emission. Yep, global warming. Got to be careful. Um, and uh, there's a very large rabbit and you'll remember in our last episode we talked about the lady that had a very large yeah. rabbit in a stroller uh, in a in an airport uh, gate area and uh, the poor rabbit is unfortunately having to breathe that uh, noxious um, toxic emission from that uh, that dog at the O'Hare port and uh, so it was relatively easy for me to spot the uh, the show number in in this uh artwork and uh, i'm going to go ahead and uh why does it always do that see if i can zoom in a little bit there is um five over there in that part of the uh of the image and uh let's see if i can scroll this thing over i need to practice i need to go to rehearsal next time and uh, see if I can figure out how to scroll this over to yeah. where Nick was able to hide the, the overhead bin. eight on the overhead bin on the right side, just to the right, our right of the uh, the hare, the large rabbit, and then the five below that on the uh, passenger service units. Uh, so, um, yeah, he made it easy for us to figure out where to where he put the uh, the show number in this imagery so thanks nick for for doing that again for us and hopefully he'll be able to do the show art for for this week's show even though he's not here i'm going to see if we can talk him into helping us out with that because you certainly don't want to see what liz comes up with because oh my gosh she's creative in many many ways but not in art actually i'm saying that i really don't know have i ever seen any artwork from you liz negative if it's not a spreadsheet i don't do it (laughs) okay Anyway, uh, well, maybe yeah, Camacho. Are you an artist? No, he's he's shaking his head. Say no, no, Nick. Say <laughs> Definitely no. not. <laughs> okay. Well, it looks like uh, Captain Nick gets to uh, keep that job. Does um, he know that? He does not know that yet, but uh, okay. you know, we'll let him know. Okay. It's time for the coffee fun. It's time for the coffee fun. Liz is telling me. So, this is when I go over here and push this button that says coffee fund. And this is where you get all get to sing. It'll sound horrible, but we'll do it anyway. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Nice job. All right. Coffee fun. It's your way, dear listener to support our show financially only if you have the financial resources to resources to do it so if you know if you need your money for like the roof over your head uh for clothing for food flight lessons for flight lessons which is the most important thing of all those things i just said uh then don't send us money really honestly we're going to be okay uh but those of you out there um who are just rich beyond all means and don't know what to do with 
all their money. Well, Bill Gates. Send Jeff some Bezos. over here. Yeah, Bill Gates, if you're listening to our show, or Elon Musk. Come on, cough up some money. Send it to the APG and send it to the Lining Light Brazilian Aviation Absolutely. Podcast as well while you're at it. Anyway, so a couple different ways to do that if you're um, inclined. Uh, you can use the uh, Airline Pilot Guy Classic method, which is basically a PayPal donation size page. We don't have any one-offs this week, but we do have a couple of recurring um, contributors, uh, Jen Niffer and um, George Hollis in uh, Canada, uh, Canadavia up there. Thank you very much for those uh, recurring contributions. Um, most people, though, when they're doing recurring contributions, uh, use something called Patreon, and you can find out uh, more information about all these different ways to uh, support the show by heading over to airlinepilotguy.com/coffee. But Patreon, basically, you can become a patron of the show, contribute uh, or pledge a certain amount per episode, and you can put a cap to that. Don't worry, we're not going to start doing a show every day. I mean, lordy. <laughs> We can't no, possibly no. ever do that. Anyway, so uh, you can say, you know what? Uh, I want to give $1 per episode and, um, you know, don't take any more from me than $4 or $5 or whatever. You know, so there are ways to manage that. So if you want to do it, I mean, we're not telling you you have to. Uh, and a very small percentage of people actually do contribute. But if you feel so inclined, as I said, value for value. If you get any value from this show, send us some value. And... We thank you very much for that consideration. You know, you'll be glad you did, and we will too. All right, and now it is time for our feedback. Captain, incoming message. We're going to start with this from Andy Harris. Um, he says, hi, Cruz. I'm going to pose this question to both. I was thinking, hi, Cruz. There's a competition going on here. I'm going to pose this question to both of the best aviation podcasts at the same yeah, time. Landing oh, Lights Andy. and APG. Oh, he's talking about Landing Light and uh, APG, I think. Exactly. No, probably not. He, he did, probably never heard of Landing Light. <laughs> I think he's talking about that other one, Opposing Opinions or um, opposing whatever pilots. that's called. Opposing Pilots. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he's going to see uh, what our various perspectives are about this. His question is, how did 9-11-2001 play out with general aviation? Now, we've heard all the stories, right? And this is me speaking. Uh, all the stories about how it affected um, commercial aviation, mostly airline part 121 flying in our country. But uh, yeah, it did affect uh, various segments of aviation here in the U.S., and uh, so he's asking about you know, how did it play out with general aviation? I'm thinking about all the bug smashers flying around, not talking to anyone. Did they just continue to fly until they landed? Uh, information didn't get around that fast back then. That's true. Um, I'm also thinking about the remote middle of nowhere pilots like crop dusters. Were they grounded too? Or people that needed helicopters or small planes to get on and off their property? What did ATC do to reach out to the pilots not talking to anyone? What would prevent a pilot from taking off in their front yards in Montana if they didn't hear the news? I noticed that there isn't a lot of general aviation stories from that day, so I'm curious to see what you all remembered. Thank you for the shows, Andy. Now, um, Camacho will probably be able to kind of give a perspective in general aviation uh, after I 
continue talking a little bit more. We're going to go to Nick, and he might have some perspective regarding that. Uh, my perspective, of course, is the in the uh, Part 121 scheduled air carrier world. Uh, and in, right now, uh, Liz, go ahead and put up that first item. Um, this is the uh, flight uh, data center uh, special notice. Uh, no, notice to air, back then it was notices to airmen. Uh, now notices to air mission. The NOTAM read, due to extraordinary circumstances and for reasons of safety, attention all aircraft operators by order of the Federal Aviation Command Center, all airports, aerodromes are not authorized for landing and takeoff. All traffic, including airborne aircraft, are encouraged to land shortly, including all helicopter traffic. Aircraft involved in firefighting in the Northwest, U.S., are excluded. Please read this notice over the emergency frequencies and VOR voice. And uh, so also pop up the next one, Liz. So this is a, a graph uh, that's showing the uh, aircraft operations at the time and the days before and the days after the uh, uh, 9-11 um, incident. And interestingly to me, look at the, the number of... Um, of uh, general aviation operations happening when when this thing all went down, um, and uh, there were uh, let's see this this particular point here looks like somewhere over a hundred thousand op- general aviation operations occurring at the at the time, uh, and I'm I was very surprised to see that. And uh, air carrier operations were down just under forty thousand, about thirty eight thousand or so. Um, and then uh, a, a smaller number of uh, air taxi operations, and then military operations were were down pretty low, which is which is normal. Um, but um, yeah, so everything you know on this graph uh, just drops off very very rapidly to pretty close to zero at the at the very bottom, and then the next day nine twelve, there ain't nothing happening. But as far as um, the uh, what happened with general aviation i did my own research here uh, found an article um from uh let's see where was this from um shutting down let's see text text message dot blogs dot archives i'm not sure where this is from sorry um it was uh written by megan dwyer special access and um FOIA program archivist at the National Archives at College Park, Maryland. Um, Freedom of Information Act is the uh, FOIA. Um, September 11, 2001 began as an ordinary day in the U.S. air traffic control system. Um, a federal aviation executive summary describes a day as severe clear. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was an amazingly clear day. A perfect day for flying. Pilots exchange good days, good mornings with air traffic control, and then the uh, NOTAM just went out, uh, or went out uh, that I just read. Uh, by 9.03 a.m., two hijacked planes had crashed into the World Trade Center's north and south towers, and uh, responding to those attacks, the FAA issued the first national ground stop in the nation's history, prohibiting ta- departures for all civilian aircraft, regardless of destination. Um, and so they go in a little bit more about uh, what I just discussed there with the graph and the operations, et cetera. Um, but the the next article that I have here uh, from the airline, I mean, excuse me, the Airplane Owners and Pilots Association, AOPA, does a very good job of 
talking about what happened in the general uh, aviation segment of aviation and uh, the fact that they were shut down as well. And in fact, this article goes in to talk about how they were, the government was trying to uh, limit VFR and IFR general aviation operations for uh, an immediate period of time, but some uh, suspected that they were trying to um, shut it down like on a permanent basis, which I'm so happy that that, that did not happen. Aren't you? Come on, Joe. Um, but um, yep. yeah, in fact, let, let me read this paragraph here from the, the GA grounding. In the weeks following the attacks, forces in the government were working hard to ground GA permanently or severely restrict our freedom to fly. And uh, the the hardest hit, and we've already talked uh, in this show already about uh, the flight school operators. Uh, flight school operators and FBO, fixed base operator owners, at first found the shutdown of air traffic and airports understandable and a small price to pay. But then they realized uh, as time went on and everything else seemed to recover in in the country here, um, you know, commercial aviation and business aviation uh, was recovering quite, quite well uh, with general aviation. Uh, that wasn't the case. And now this is when Nick is going to kind of tell us his perspective of, wait a minute, were you born, Nick? Were you? Uh, I um, was just going to say. I forgot uh, that it's like a been a while ago, 22 years yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a freshman in high school, so I was not quite as active. So you, you weren't there. You were out there flying, huh? I had just started flying gliders actually. Ah, um, okay. And so it was coming to the end of the season. It didn't really affect me. Yep, there we go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I it didn't have uh, – aviation-wise, obviously, it didn't have as much of an impact on me uh, back then. Well, but being in the world of flying that you're in mostly – I know you're in other aspects of aviation as well as far as your job is concerned. But uh, your, your actual exercise of flying is in the general aviation world. And your mm -hmm. beautiful debonair that you're uh, restoring and fixing up, and uh, Lescom, your I think that's your dad's airplane, right? The Lescom. Yep. Um, so you know, you're that's your work, and and the um, uh, the work that you do, uh, volunteer work uh, as part of the crew of Betsy's Biscuit Bomber, um, the the C forty seven that you crew on as well. Um, that's all general aviation. Um, of course, that's more specialty aviation, of course, but. Um, as far as what you've been able to gather, uh, because that's your world, um, mm -hmm. have you uh, did you have you heard of any of the stories of people that were actually out flying during that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, I um, I I remember hearing a, anecdotally hearing a story of a crop duster like out in uh, southern Kansas who was flying for two or three days, right? Because he his the way that his operation uh, is like they were talking about, taking off out of your front yard, right? So a lot of these crop dusters who have small strips or they're operating off of uh, uh, uncontrolled fields, uh, you know, technically by the letter of the law, when you're flying, whether you're flying IFR or VFR, you got to have all of the um, – you have to have the information required to complete the flight or – I don't remember what the exact word is, but something like that, right? You're supposed to check the notums before you go flying. That is uh, less critical. The, um, you know, depending on where you're operating, how familiar you are with the area that you're operating, um, 
it's uh, it's not always as critical because if you're flying into uh, busy, large volume airports, they're always going to have notams, right? They're always going to have bird notams, but they're also going to have like uh, taxiway closures and things you actually need to know for your flight. When you're flying like out in the uh, less populated areas of the world with uh, uncontrolled fields, it's it's highly unlikely that um, your uh, your actual flight's going to be affected by notams. So I, I suspect there were a fair amount of people that um, were immediately uh, were not immediately aware of what's going on and kept flying for maybe a day or two even after uh after 911 okay so um uh blackhawk again chiming in some ga who didn't check notams were intercepted the uh the us military jets got a chance to practice intercepts um some ga airports in the dc area were shut for some time and the airplanes were stranded yeah i was just about to read um a couple of paragraphs from this article that was written uh, you know again the aopa um, the uh, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association article, which was written about on the 10th uh, anniversary of the uh, 9-11 attacks back in 2011. Um, Frederick, site of AOPA headquarters, lies 15 miles southeast of the presidential retreat at Camp David in Thurmont, uh, Maryland. For months after the, the attacks, and each time the president visited the camp, F-16 fighters patrolled the skies. We lay awake listening to the unfamiliar drone, missed it when it went away, and now react with concern when we hear it infrequently now. Two uninformed pilots wandered into the restricted airspace at Washington, D.C. and were grounded and arrested at Frederick Municipal Airport. The historic airports around the D.C. area, the DC-3, which are College Park, Pot Potomac F Airfield, and Washington Executive Hyde Field, were shut down until February 14th, 2002, and still have restrictions placed upon them. And this was back 10 years ago. I think they still do have some restrictions. Yes. That's part of that special procedure that you have to apply for and then follow very strictly, right, Nick? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, as the story goes to press, again, this is 10 years ago or more than 10 years ago, the control tower at FDK, Frederick, is set to open this month. Interstates 270 and 70 have been connected, and AOPA, uh, through its national efforts in the media and its embrace of the local community it inhabits, is known as the world's largest aviation organization, not only to its members but to the world. Anyway, so they go on and talking about the fact that you know they're doing their best to protect the rights of general aviation pilots here in our country, and they're doing a great job of it, by the way. Um, so again, this was a this was more than ten years ago when this article was written. I'd say it's mostly kind of gotten back to normal, uh, Camacho. Right? Um, maybe a little bit more restrictive than it was before nine eleven. The biggest uh, the biggest impacts that are still around are that the ADIS, the Air Defense Identification Zone, which is that area around Washington D.C. Um, <clears throat> encompassing those three unfortunate GA airports. Uh, so we got to spend a little bit of time in there with the C-47 when we were, um, doing some of our stuff on the way to Europe, you know, we flew over the, uh, we flew over Reagan and then we flew over the, uh, Arlington National Cemetery and the Pentagon. Um, so that was a, uh, heavily, um, background checked event and heavily, uh, <clears throat> briefed and, yeah, I remember um, 
you know, we all had our documentation with us because we were going out of the country, but they actually quarantined our airplanes. The Secret Service, we were flying at the AOPA fly-in in Frederick, Maryland that you mentioned. And uh, at one point in the morning, the Secret Service actually came out and quarantined the airplanes. And then all the paper people that had completed their paperwork were uh, basically escorted out to the airplanes to ensure that the people that had been checked were the people that were on board the airplanes and that sort of thing. So how, was, uh, how, how recent was that? That was 2019. Okay. Well, that's, wow. Yeah. 18 years but, after. Yeah. But we were also, we were flying, um, we weren't just flying in that eight is we were flying, uh, very close to some prominent, uh, Washington DC. Right. Um, landmarks. landmarks I guess yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is, uh, you know, there, there's now like a standing TFR over uh, sporting events and large gatherings. So I think it's like sporting events and concerts. There's like a standard three-mile TFR that I think goes up to 3,000 feet or something like that. Um, obviously, that's not nearly as impactful to pilots. I mean, g- generally, unless the stadium is next to an airport, uh, those can just be navigated about and around, but those are the two big ones that I'm aware of kind of having their, um, origins in, in the nine 11 attacks. Yeah. In this article, they talk about, um, into September 27th, uh, 2002, um, actually before that, um, anyway, they, they established the, um, sporting event TFRs. Uh, but some of the things that were really, um, overly restricted um, or restrict restrictive for GA were uh, if, if you lived anywhere near a major metropolitan area with a class, you know, class B airspace. I mean, if you were anywhere near that or underneath it or whatever, I mean, your flying was pretty much shut down for quite some time. And again, uh, the, the good folks at uh, AOPA were working really, really hard to, you know, reduce or eliminate those restrictions. And finally, you know, it was quite some time before they were completely lifted. But uh, Andy's, um, you know, feedback and question, uh, good question. Uh, Again, are, you know, mostly what we focus on here at the Airline Pilot Guy Show, mainly because, you know, most of us are airline pilots um, as far as the hosts are concerned. And so we kind of tend to kind of focus on that particular small segment of aviation. And uh, sometimes we overlook or don't really think about, you know, what the effect may have been on uh, other actually larger slices of that aviation pie. And uh, we thank you for asking the question and bringing that uh, to everybody's attention. It also kind of brings to mind, or it also it also kind of uh, highlights the delicate balance that we have, right? Uh, you talk about um, the like how the I don't know if it was necessarily FAA or maybe legislators um, were working hard to limit or eliminate VFR flying, and you know that's. I'm sure there were some security aspects of that, but there's also a lot of benefit to various uh, end users in the system um, if that were to happen, right? So it's we have this kind of uh, delicate balance in our aviation ecosystem that can be, you know, something like a what happened on 9/11 uh, kind of uh, opens up opportunities for people to take advantage of the situation, right? 
Yeah. What? People are out there taking advantage of things? <laughs> Come on. It can't be right. So top this opposing basis. Um, yeah. So, I mean, now having listened to that amazing analysis and presentation of general aviation activity uh, during and shortly after 9-11, I mean, how could opposing bases do any better? I'm, I'm just thinking. I don't even think they should try. I think they should just skip it. Thanks, Andy. Um, uh, appreciate that. Uh, let's continue our feedback with, uh, oh, uh, so um, let's see. This is from Captain Tom. And he says, hi, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Wanted to tell you about a new app for airline pilots that can be downloaded today. It's called Jump Alert. At first, when I saw this title, I'm thinking, oh, is this like an app for us to use to know where Dr. Steph is flying her yeah. jumper dumper There's airplane jump, jumper, just to kind of warn us to stay away from that area? That but no. Jumper dumper alert. Oh, that's jumper dumper alert. I'm sorry. Uh, it's so similar to this. Anyway, jump alert uh, uniquely solves the problem of jump seating airline pilots being left behind at the gate because a flight crew did not know that someone was looking for a ride. In a nutshell, Jump Alert is a pilot's helping pilots communication tool that connects flight crews to jump seaters in real time. Here's how it works. The app uses your mobile device's GPS and will only show jump seaters at the airport you are physically located. At, an airline pilot can create a jump alert for other airline pilots to see by specifying the airline, the flight number, the from city, and then the to city the pilot wants to ride on and then submit. Sign up super easy after downloading the app at any of the app stores. Simply go to www.jumpalert.com and create a user account. It's important to know that the, an airline pilot will need a referral code to register. Only an air, airline pilot who uses Jump Alert can refer another airline pilot with a referral code. After an airline pilot is signed up, they will be given their own referral code in the app to give to another airline pilot. This helps limit access to only airline pilots. Sorry about all you pilots out there that aren't airline pilots. Um, but you wouldn't be able to ride the jump seat anyway. You know, so. um, also, it's important note uh, to note that Jump Alert is not a substitute for listing or any of the other normal procedures when jump seating. Yeah, don't, don't rely on uh, Tom's app um, to... Uh, yeah, you got to do all the other stuff, or otherwise they don't know that you're there. Uh, APG listeners who are airline pilots and would like to sign up today can use a referral code, which is APG Show. That's all lowercase. APG Show. Um, one word. All one word, and uh, then you can get um, going with, uh, or at least check out Tom's app. And uh, there are uh, there's a free version, and then there's some other um, uh, pricing tiers that you can use um and uh, right now on the uh, we're showing the uh screen share or the screen uh capture of uh what it would look like on your mobile device um i i'm not sure i haven't used this i'm not a commuter so i you know it's not really going to be something that will uh, be uh you know useful for me uh but people out there that do commute uh, it sounds like uh, felix um on the uh, landing light uh podcast is a commuter and, uh, you know, jump seats, I guess, maybe, or maybe he gets like a, a, a full nice paid for by his airline seat to be transported uh, from place. to. Nope, he doesn't. No, okay. No. Um, no, 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 no. So he's a jump seater uh, as well, huh? Um, 
the only thing that I can see that might be, I don't, I don't know, you know, because as I said, I haven't used this, but I did tell Tom, uh, Captain Tom that uh, we, we would present this um, as feedback on our show if people want to check it out, is that, um, you know, it, say for me, like, I, I never think about the people that are jump seating to work uh, unless they happen to be uh, listed as uh, jump seat requests on my particular flight. I mean, I don't, I don't use this app. I mean, I have it on my phone now because thank, thank you, Captain Tom. Uh, he gave me a referral code to to install it and put it on my on my phone. But I, honestly, I don't know if I if I'm going to really even think about using it. So and, and make it available or useful uh, for other other airline pilots. And and maybe uh, Tom, you can you can kind of um, let us know, you know, what, I mean, is that a, is that an issue? Is that a problem? Or is that something that, you know, more people than not are going to be um, aware of people trying to, maybe the other pilots out there operating flights who are commuters themselves will probably think about it a lot more than somebody like me who, you know, I always start from Atlanta International. I always end at Atlanta International. I just get in my car or take the train home. So um, I don't know. It's possible. Am I muted? I don't know why StreamYard keeps um, muting me. It keeps telling me that my browser is not uh, detected by um, in my microphone. It's kind of weird. This has never happened before. And I think it has something to do with the the, the Brazilian people here that are on the show. Oh, yeah. I think they're sabotaging. I don't know why they would do that, <laughs> but I think they are. Never had any technical issues, right? <laughs> Maybe it's well, Okay, now wait a minute. I've had we obviously Wait we've had technical issues, but not this one. This is a different. This is a new one. <laughs> yeah, you're, we are bringing you new new things. We brought new stuff. Oh, to thank you, you so yeah. much. New features. Appreciate that. New. <laughs> it's not a. It's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so uh, Captain Tom, hope that helps. Uh, hope the people out there uh, who are listening, who are airline pilots, who want to check out your app, will go and download it. Use the uh, the special referral code a- APG uh, show, and uh, if you do do that, do do. <laughs> uh, please uh, send us some some feedback and let us know how that how how that's worked for you. Um, I'm sure that Captain Tom would appreciate feedback as well. All right, um, number Liz, five. We played number before, five. but the dates coming. Okay. Oh yeah, we've talked about this before, but we said we would talk about it again as the event approached, uh, and so right now it's just a couple of weeks um away a little bit more than two weeks away um ray uh, sent us in this feedback of the delta atlanta collectibles show and sale uh that's the 36th annual uh atlanta airline collectibles show and sale i guess they must have started um just uh, a year or so before i got hired by uh the major airline based in atlanta um it's on saturday october 7th of this year and from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., it's only $10 for admission. And you have, if you have kids 10 years old or younger, they're free. Uh, and you go to the Delta Flight Museum and uh, check out all the uh, things that they have for sale. For sale, excuse me, uh, aviation-related items that range from airplane seats to models and playing cards. And again, uh, we did get a clarification: the models that they're talking about here are actual airplane models, not yeah. high fashion <laughs> models. So get your mind out of the gutter. Um, 
Anyway, uh, breakfast and lunch will be available for purchase, and all proceeds benefit the Delta Flight Museum. And uh, so there's a little bit of information about who you can contact to get more of your questions answered about this. Again, that's the 36th Annual Atlanta Airline Collectibles Show and Sale on October 7th, Delta Airlines, uh, Delta Flight Museum. So check it out. All right. Um, Let's continue with some feedback from uh, formerly the um, big ass fan uh, representative that is a real name of a real company that make really big fans uh, and who is now working for an engine manufacturer. See if, see if you can figure out which one based on this feedback. All right. Um, Let's see. I got to make sure that I'm ready to go with this. Okay. Um, Hey crew, it's been a while since I've sent any feedback, so I've got a couple of items. The first piece of feedback is in an effort to keep you above the 50% mark. In the feedback from Ham Radio Jim in episode 583, you said that the engines on the 737 Max were geared turbofans, but they're not. I have very little patience for stupidity. The only engine available for the 737 Max is the CFM Leap 1B. The Leap 1B is a standard two-spool high-bypass turbofan engine. The Pratt & Whitney geared turbofan is used on the Airbus A320 and A220 families of aircraft, amongst others. By the way, I found out this week that there are more Leap-powered, L-E-A-P-powered A320 family aircraft than geared turbofan-powered. Just a little toot-toot for the guys at CFM. There you go. There's your tutu. There you go. Uh, now I have a question. Are you kind of picking up on what, what company uh, Greg works for? Uh, now I have a question about runway numbering and compass headings. I know that the runway number is the rough compass heading divided by 10. Uh, for example, runway 9 is a compass heading of 90 degrees. Runway 18 is a compass heading of 180 degrees, etc. What I'd like to know is what kind of tolerance is there in the compass heading compared to a runway number? especially at airports where there are more than three parallel runways. For instance, at Chicago O'Hare, there are six parallel, 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 why can't I say parallel, parallel runways that run east to west. Three are numbered 927, three are 1028. ATL is another example, which I know Captain Jeff is quite familiar with. Yes, I am. At Atlanta, there are five parallel runways that run basically east-west. Two are eight to six, two of them are nine to seven, and one is ten to eight. How does this affect your compass heading when you're lining up for these runways that might not be exactly on the compass heading associated with their corresponding number? Uh, one last thing, I've sh- already shared this with uh, Captain Jeff, but with this new job um, that he has, uh, they've decided to build a new house in southwest Ohio. And as part of the driveway, we added a pad for Jeff to park his RV when he needs a place to stop once he begins his nomadic lifestyle. We look forward to having you visit. Yay! Yay. <laughs> and uh, I, I love it. I, I see uh, I see my future home. Greg's never hope, getting ready. I hope there's no restriction on how long I can stay there. <laughs> anyway, um, to get to uh, Greg's question about the uh, putting up his hand he wanted to comment oh, on the and, and uh, go ahead if you uh yeah so a, i don't know uh, i i don't know how how long have you guys studied the regulations that tell us about that but 
because I'm I'm just recently got my CFI. I, that's quite fresh in my mind. So mm-hmm. if you want, I can help on that. Okay. Well, uh, Liz, I, I have um, a. Did I put in a couple of um, airport diagram picks in the uh, in there? In 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 Keynote. Yeah, maybe I didn't put them in Keynote. Nope. Dang it! I forgot to do that. Oh, I thought I had been completely. Re- okay, hang on. Let me see if I can. Uh, well, I put them in Evernote. <laughs> that's not very helpful. Uh, um, you can move them over. You keep talking. I'll I'll make some slides. Hang no, on. that's right. I can do it. I can just do it this way, Liz. Um, right, okay. And uh, here we go. So I'm going to present and share screen, and then I'm going to go like this. I'm getting better at this faster. Okay, here's. Um, Atlanta International uh, Airport Diagram. And uh, we see the runways that uh, Greg was uh, referring to. Uh, at the top, we have the Northern Complex. We have runways um, 8 left, 8 right, 26 left, 26 right. Then we have the uh, Center Complex, uh, which is uh, 9 left, 9 right, Two seven left, two seven right, and then the newest runway that we have at Atlanta is uh, runway ten two six. And you'll notice if we um, zoom in a bit, I think I can get it to do this. Maybe not. Um, I have to. Nope. It would. It wouldn't. It couldn't possibly be that easy. Let me uh, zoom in uh, to this, and now I'll. St- share that. So I've, I've zoomed into this airport diagram a little bit. And you, even though at the top, you see it's eight left and eight right. Um, if you look at the number right below the actual runway depiction, it says 095.2 degrees. And the one uh, next one down, 095.2 degrees. Okay. So the actual runway heading of that runway is 95.2 degrees at this moment. Um and it's constantly changing, by the way, because the magnetic pole all, continues to move around. Um, not the true north, but the, the actual magnetic north does move around a little bit. So it depends on where you are in the world, uh, how the magnetic variation and true uh, headings, you know, they, how they vary or differ. Uh, so look at the next, uh, the, the center runways, nine left, nine right, 95.2 degrees, 95.2, the same exact headings as the one up there that call themselves 826. And also the one at the very bottom is 1028. But look, the number is still 95.2 degrees. Now, I think Greg's concern is, well, you know, your headings are, are all going to be messed up. Now, you know, we, we use the runway. Uh, they're generally named for the general magnetic direction. And usually when it hits the, let's say, um, uh, more than five, like if it's 95, then usually they'll go up to the next um, the next number, which would be 10, right? Or oh, go ahead. Nine, oh, six. Okay. Yeah, Thank you. It's six to, to, to the next one. Okay. And, uh, to, uh, yeah. Okay. So your, your memory is a little bit, your, yeah, your knowledge is a little bit fresher, fresher than mine. Fresher. Uh, it's been a long time since I, I did all this studying, but anyway, uh, so that there is, they do, you know, runway designations do change over time, uh, based on the change in magnetic, um, uh, location of magnetic north uh, variation, magnetic variation. Um, but the, the, we have a problem when we have big giant airports like Atlanta and Chicago O'Hare and other big airports around the world, when all the runways are going in the same exact 
uh, magnetic direction, but you need a way for pilots to differentiate or pilots and other you know people uh, to differentiate uh, what these runways are, the names of them. So they get something close. So, you know, instead of nine left, nine right, that would be confusing if you had nine left and nine right at the top, you know, the northernmost runways. So they decided to call those eight left, eight right. And then down there, the same thing for the new runway 10. So we aren't, we aren't going, oh, wait a minute. It says runway 10, but my magnetic uh, heading indicator is showing 95.2. Well, it, that that's not something that's a problem for us because when we are flying um, airplanes that have instrumentation that allows you to actually do this. I mean, most modern airplanes now just automatically set it up for the exact magnetic heading um, based on the flight management system, uh, whatever, you're, you know, the runway that you put in there. Uh, but in the day when I used to fly these old ancient airplanes where you actually actually had to tune up the ILS frequency and then put in the uh, the the course uh, the, for the uh, for the instrument landing system, we would actually put in a number that actually matches what the real magnetic heading would be for that runway. Enrique I think that makes maybe sense. Had some other stuff. To okay, say. and uh, Enrique, uh, go ahead and add some more if you can clarify a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, there is this provision from ICAO that says that. Uh, the, the magnetic uh, the the naming of the runway is going to be rounded up to the next tenth if it varies over six degrees. So um, from let's say in this example that we were talking about zero nine or uh, regardless of the side, that's a whole different conversation. But the magnetic heading that is accepted for that naming is eighty six to ninety six. So that's what they tolerate, and that runway can be called a zero nine or. Uh, like we don't have like zero nine five zero nine two right. that kind of stuff, and the right and left and center it's pretty much uh, self-explanatory. Like it's the play when you have up to three parallel runways, uh, you're going to differentiate them by calling them left, right, and center. And in this case about Atlanta, I don't know the specific rules about that, but I know that when you have like up to four parallel runways and you have this kind of scheme of north and south complex they change the name regardless of the magnetic heading that does that those runways should be called just to make the differentiation for for the pilots exactly Jeff, thank neil, you neil landwarm has an impact. uh neil landwarm uh, i can't wait to see what he has to say here in our live audience nine left nine left a bit more nine really left yeah see that <laughs> takes a lot of extra paint neil <laughs> And it's really hard to squeeze all those words in uh, to paint those on the on the runway itself. But I like your idea, though. I mean, that's something that I'm sure that they're they're thinking about uh, at the uh, IKO and uh, FAA. <sighs> all right. Um, so I hope that helps, um, Greg. It's not really a problem. They just need a way to kind of designate uh, runways so that we don't land or take off or cross the wrong ones. Um, okay, we're going to finish this out with uh, feedback from Sam Bolog, and he says, my nephew, Nigel Ward, a.k.a. November Echo Whiskey, who has sent you feedback in the past, has just entered officer training with the U.S. Marine Corps. Yeah, way to go, man. All right. And uh, Sam said, well, would you give him a shout out for support? I can forward to him on a weekend, the only time he will have access to his phone. So thank you so much. So, okay. So let's do a shout out 
to uh, Nigel Ward. Shout out. How's that? Is that good? <laughs> no? You want more than that? Okay. Um, so shout out to Nigel Ward as you begin your officer training with the Marine Corps. Uh, Semper Fi and get on you and do well. And we're all thinking about you Shores and hoping that Montezuma. you. Oh, okay. Was it Halls of Montezuma? And we're supposed to be singing that too. I didn't get that part of the note. <laughs> no, honestly, sorry. We're not, we're, we're fooling around, but I do remember that brings me back to 1981, September, October, 1981, uh, way, way, way long ago before everybody on this panel was born. Um, I was uh, entering uh, well, it's not, not you, Liz, but you're not on the panel right now. You're just in my ear. Um, the uh, it was when I started uh, officer officer training school uh, in uh, San Antonio, um, Lackland Air Force Base, Medina Annex. And boy, oh boy, let me tell you what I thought to myself as they were cutting all my hair off. What the heck was I thinking? <laughs> but. It turns out that that was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Uh, it it got me the qualifications and uh, the education and the uh, everything uh, to get to where I am now. And I'm just about to end this very very long and, and successful and um, very blessed career that I'm fulfilling. I've fulfilling, yes. And um, so. Um, Good luck to you. I, I hope that uh, it, it goes well. I hope you were able to enjoy it as much as you can. I know the Marine Corps officer training school is probably a little bit tougher than the Air Force. You know, we always get ha jokes made here in, the, in this country about the various military services, and they're always saying that the U.S. Air Force is like a country club. Yeah, well, probably is more than most of the other services. That's true. I have to admit. But anyway, so shout out, Nigel. Hope you go do well. What's that? Okay. I said, go get him. Yeah, him. go get him. I thought you said Jim. And I went, have I been using the wrong word, the whole, no, whole no, wrong no. name the whole time? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. So I, I hope that uh, Sam appreciates that, uh, that shout out there. Okay. Well, it's time to wrap up our show. Yes, most of you are going, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Um, and the first thing we like to do, yeah. Oh, and get ready for the uh, little um, the little image of the uh, yes, the sir. QR code. Okay, got it ready. So uh, first thing we're going to do is we're going to send you over to airlinepilotguy.com. It's our website and uh, has like websitey things on it, like uh, information <laughs> about the crew and the community and the uh, library and merchandise and information how you can send us money via the coffee fund and so much more. Check it out. It's airlinepilotguy.com. Um, we also have a way for you, an easy way for you to send us feedback. And you can use that QR code right there. Just shine, shine your mobile device or whatever technical gadget you have on, at that. And that should uh, open up your email program and address it for you. And then you can either record some feedback and attach it to this, or you can just send us some typed in uh, feedback uh, and uh, we'll we'll read it on the show so check that out and uh, we're also on social media and this is what nick camacho has been looking so forward to on the show is that he gets to do our <laughs> social media uh stuff yep all right our facebook page is just airlinepilotguy.com our twitter or x page is at apg crew 
Same with the Instagram, just APG crew. And over to Hillel. Well, I don't know. Do you think Hillel's here? I don't. I think he's going to sleep. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang on. I can hear some water running. Oh, he's just ending his shower. Hey, Hillel, can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. Come on. Just put, go back in there. Put the towel back on. Put the towel on. Okay. Now you can come over here because, you know, this is a family show. And why don't you come and tell us all about Slack? APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Thanks, Hillel. Oh, no. Let me see if I can figure out how to turn off the microphone. Ah, oh yeah, Delta P. Sorry you had to hear that. Thanks, Halal. Okay, uh, and uh, we also want to be, well, we want to thank Liz for all the work that she does behind the scenes and during the show and after the show. I mean, all of it, 24-7, just like Enrique right and there. I should Enrique. be talking every night I in know. the middle of the night. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, and so thank you. Oh, I'm supposed to hit the applause thing. There there we go. There's the applause. All right. My thank pleasure. you, Liz. You're awesome. And also, we'd like to thank our live audience. And if you want to uh, join it. Oh, by the way, if you're, if you're looking at our um, episode on um, the website itself, you'll note that we do have a link to our YouTube recording because that's what we use to get everybody together and record this audio podcast. And if you ever have a chance, if you follow us on the social media, like Camacho just told you about, um, Liz puts out their uh, notices when we are recording live. And let me say that you're going to have a great time if you show up someday to um, – to, a lot to of join smart this. people in our chat room. No, there aren't. Uh, they're very, <laughs> well, then there's Tim and the They're really not that many uh, in our chat room, but no, they are. They're very uh, clever people, uh, comedic-wise and also knowledge-wise. So thank you very much for uh, you all for being there almost every week for us uh, in the chat room. And uh, also... Before we go, we'd like to thank again our representatives of the Landing Light uh, podcast uh, that are still here with us. Uh, thank you guys for, for joining us. And also, you need to tell everybody how do we find out more about your show and where do we go to listen and all that jazz. Yeah, so you guys can look up for us on, on Instagram at farolpozo.farol. D-E-P-O-U-S-O or just find, find also at the Aviation which is our uh, page that uh, talks about the, our screening and our mentorship programs that we have here. Um, also we are on YouTube, Farol de Pozo um, you're going to find the episodes over there and um, again Jeff, uh, Nick, Liz it's the whole to the whole APG community. Uh, it was an honor and a pleasure to be a part of the episode tonight. Thank you guys. Thank well, you very much. 
We were so happy to have you here. Big applause. Congrats for you guys and your great podcast. Hopefully we'll send some some traffic your direction. We're going to have all those um, all that information that you just told us uh, in the show notes as well. So people can check you out. And uh, finally, we'd like to say have a great week. Thanks for flying with, with us today on APG 586. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. See you guys next time. Bye, everybody. See you guys. Bye, everybody. Yeah, bye, guys. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I